everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of the Friday Nightmares podcast. Uh, on tonight's episode, we will be discussing relationships in horror, and also known as Scott's Got Some Stories to Tell and People to Call Out. Uh, but I am your host, Smoke Show Crawford, recording from uh, Swartz Creek, Michigan, and with me, as always, is my lovely host, Heather Powell coming to you from Waterdown, Ontario, Canada. Yes, I said Waterdown because it's a sub-community of Hamilton and I didn't say Hamilton this time. And yeah, Scott's done with asking for the manager and he's just making his world known about dating. I think I might have some stories too um, as well, but not. I, I feel like it's harder for men. You know, it's not so hard for Pound and Powell. Um, you know, I, I just feel like for smoke show, first of all, I'm a mild rumble, rumble to his full head explosion. So, you know, I don't have nearly the interest that, that Scott does, though I did get asked to be a sugar baby you um, sure did. by a gentleman, which I don't know. I'm more like a sugar toddler. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't get where the hell this dude thinks I am. And like, man, I'd be expecting mortgage payments, pay my part of their fucking property taxes. Like. You know, Kate Spade purses and, like, dinner's out ain't going to cut it, dude. You're going to be forking out the dough at this age. Right. Yeah. We, yeah, we did this topic because of Scott. Yeah. I uh, For one, as everyone's known from us doing our uh, first-time watches and stuff, like, relationship horror films seem to be something that I've really grown attached to over the last year and a half because it's been really kind of a a lot of the stories seem to be hitting home for me a lot more because of like the experiences I have had through my relationships. And well, got a plenty of dating stories in the last two years of uh, being a divorced single man. And oh boy, some of these experiences, while fun, have also been uh, horrifying. <laughs> you know what I think it is, and we made a joke of it on our last episode, is that online dating truly is a cesspool. I feel as though people um, percent that they're interested in people and everyone's into these very, very emotionally drawn out, I don't want to say games, but I guess it's the best word to come up with it, is that they're enable of making a commitment to meet and very disrespectful of people's time and consideration. Oh, yeah. And I just find that really appalling. Like, I've been in a fair amount of relationships and any dude that's ever bought me a drink at a bar, I've had a conversation with, I've given out my number, my real number and guys haven't called me and that's fine. I have had a guy call me and I've gone out with them. Um, like I, I don't know. I, I, and if I'm no longer interested in somebody, I give them the healthiest, honest truth I can. Like I once broke up with a dude that was too short. Um, for me, for my likings, I do like really tall men, but I didn't tell him that. I didn't say you're too short. I just said, I'm not feeling this. I don't think we have a lot in common, you know, and I owned it and I was polite as I could be. I didn't want to fucking drag him out and ghost him, but this whole ghosting thing and some of the shit you've experienced, is just so immature. Yeah. Yeah. There's been some ridiculous things that has happened. Like some of it, I'm like, okay, you know, that's part of the dating life. But then some of it's just like, why do you even try? Why are you even on these sites? 
Like you're just wasting people's time. Well, and I think it's emotional manipulation in some cases. I think, and and women tend to do it a lot more than men, which is why I think guys are always surprised. You know, and I'm not trying to brag about myself or anything here, but I'm pretty straight to the point. Like if I'm feeling you, I'm gonna fucking tell you. If I'm not feeling you, I'm gonna be nice about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> tell you in a way say, that comes out nicely. Well, I'll say in the year that I've known you, like you are just straight up fucking honest. <laughs> right? Like, and I do it in a way obviously of like consideration. I'm not gonna be a complete cruel person to somebody. But you know, if I'm feeling somebody, I'll be like, Hey, I dig you. Do you dig me more than a friend or is this a friendship thing? Or like, and if I want to engage in sexual things, I'll I'll ask for them. Right. Um and I <laughs> And if I say I want to hang out with someone, I'll, I'll tell them. If I had a good time on a date, I'll be like, hey, you know, I had a really good time. Do you want to do this again sometime? Like, I don't fucking play games. And I just don't understand how people in their 30s don't engage in that behavior as well. Yeah, well, I guess we can kind of jump into one of them right now just because we're kind of on the topic of it. But, like, yeah. one that has recently happened, like, with me was, uh, you know, just I'd be uh, trying to set something up, talk to her for, like, a month and a half or whatever. And then she was like, yeah, let's go out uh, this date. Then I go and get, re- I'm, I'm excited, like, all right, cool, got a date set, finally going to meet her, spend, like, a couple hours getting ready, doing some stuff around the house before I left, and then, like, an hour and a half, or an hour to an hour and a half before I was supposed to leave, she messages me going, oh, I'm tired, I'm exhausted from work. I'm bloated. Care. I'm bloated. I, I want to yeah. add in, for all my lady listeners, I'm bloated. Like, first of all, if, and the setup was, if Scott doesn't mind me sharing, he was going to come over there and watch horror movies with this woman. And there was going to be drinks involved and possibly an overnight stay. Uh, so Scott and I were pre-graming about having a bag in the car just in case, you know, making sure that he was safe and getting home. And if this person was scared of, you know, maybe she didn't want to be intimate or whatever, she could have just said that. Like, Scott's not a creeper. She could have just been right. like, hey, dude, you know, I'm not feeling the greatest, but if you want to come over for a couple hours, I would really like to meet you and we can talk and hang out. But she wasn't able to use her fucking voice like an adult and communicate that. Right, because, you know, I'm not looking like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go bang, like, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, I'm going over there to meet someone, like, see how it goes in person, because you never know how it's going to be. It's easier through text than it is in person. Yeah, yeah, of course. And, you know, going over there, like, I would have, like, if she wasn't feeling comfortable and felt sick or whatever, we'd just sit on the couch and eat some food, watch TV or whatever, and just chat. Like, that's not a big deal. Well, you're also a 39-year-old fucking man. Well, almost a 39-year-old fucking man. But uh, close enough, close enough, close enough. Um, Like, honestly, we're not kids. And I think that's what I I don't get. And we'll get into, like, you know, people being unable to communicate. And there's no difference to me in relationships when it comes to friendships, friends with benefits, um, non-monogamy, which I am a, a very big... Um, I don't want to say advocate of, but I understand it a lot more now than I did when I was younger. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that <sighs> treat people how you expect to be treated, like to, to lead someone on to be like, we're going to have these plans, going to have these plans and bail within 45 minutes of those plans happening is so immature and insulting to that person's time. Yeah. And then like that next time, like, cause she even said, uh, oh, sorry, I can't do it today. How about, uh this day like in just a couple days later i'm like okay you know she she wants to try at least she's setting up time all right we'll do this and then i wake up that day message her just to make sure that everything's good don't hear from her the entire day till about 10 o'clock at night when i'm about to go to bed yeah and i was like wow all right and all her response was oh my god i'm sorry i'm like really and yeah that's 
shit like that, wasting my time. Thankfully, like, you know, I already had like doubts in my mind that it was going to happen. So I already had other plans lined up because I knew it wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that has happened to me so many times where it's just like, oh, yeah, we'll meet. And then the day of, oh, no response at all. Or just nothing. Just so immature. Yeah. It is just such a fucking, and I'm calling, and I'm calling everyone out. I'm calling any male, any female, or if you identify as something else, if you do that, you're a piece of shit. (laughs) And you hear it here on Friday Nightmares. If you can't be bothered to at least respond, and when you've made plans and give the person at least a reason why with with a credible amount of time, and I'm not talking about emergencies because it's really rare that true emergencies actually happen. Right. Um, that's a piece of shit, immature thing to do. And shame on you. <laughs> yeah. You're wasting another person's time. Like, they've, like, if they're anything like me, they've planned out the night accordingly, like, thinking that, okay, we're going to be doing this. Okay, so I won't make any plans with anybody else. It's like, you're wasting a lot of people's time doing that. And, like, mm-hmm. no one likes to be stood up, whether it's guy or girl, it's bullshit. And I, there's something about respect. I was talking with three of my close girlfriends. We had a ladies' night, uh, White Claw for Life on Friday. <laughs> and uh, I was hanging up my bitches. And I said, you, and we were talking about um, just respect. And I said, the thing that I value most about any friendship or relationship that I'm in, because I see friendships and relationships very interchangeably. Yeah. Um, I, and, and maybe I'll talk a little bit more about my own personal views as time goes on. I'm a very open person. I'll, I'll tell you that. And I definitely have a very different view on love. I think most love is platonic, which we'll get to later. For example, I love Scott. Scott is my ride or die. Um, right. And there's nothing I wouldn't do for Scott. But I also love my girlfriends. And I've also loved my ex-husband. And I've loved boyfriends I've had. And I've loved many a people. Um, in many different shapes and forms. And I think one of the baselines of all those close relationships is respect. I respect Scott's time. I respect who he is as a person. Like, yeah, I fucking bust his balls and shit. (laughs) When it comes down to it, there's a level of respect between the two of us. And I feel like when you ghost someone, you're just showing such disrespect and immaturity that it does nothing but make you look like a moron, in my opinion. Exactly. And... Shame on me for being the nice guy that I am, the willing to give people chances over and over again, because that backfires on me. And I, like, I, I'm actually had it with that. I'm not giving the second chance, like second and third chances, unless there's like a legit reason. I think that's good. I think you really do need to value your time and what you have to bring to the table, right? And it's even like how we're getting with our 2020 films. <laughs> so right. I don't know, even talked about valuing our time with those too. Because uh, collectively, we're up to what, 100 and I'm up to, I think, 136 watches for yeah. new watch. What are you at? I think I'm at 135 now. I'm like one behind you. Okay, so we're we're at par, and even then, we've slowed down a lot. Um, yeah. We you know we'll list off some ones that we watched. Uh, I think there's just one on here that Scott has seen that I haven't, so I'll let him talk about that. Um, and, you know, they were all pretty decent, but I, I definitely am being a little bit more picky than I used to be in the past. And, you know, I, not that not that I'm trying to full, pull complete parallels to everything, but I think when Scott says he, he's going to respect his time more, it also talks about respecting his time when it comes to people. Um, yeah. Right? Absolutely. Like, I want to... My time is valuable, and I know the people that I care about's time is valuable, and so I want to use it to, with the people that I care about 
or someone that I'm interested in that I could see something happening with. Like, Absolutely. I'm going to respect everybody's time. Absolutely, right? And Scott's a, a great catch. So for any uh, <laughs> any single ladies that are listening. Oh, you. <laughs> or or dudes or whatever. Scott will take what he can get. Um, <laughs> just he's down to pound. It's 2020, um, the wild card year. The wild card. And Scott would be much more into a relationship. I'm more into a friendship with uh, benefits than right. Scott would eventually be settled down and baking apple pies in his apron. <laughs> No, that's for my OnlyFans. And and massaging their feet when they came home after a long day. He totally, you are totally that dude, though. You are totally the dude that is like, baby, I'll make you that nice dinner. Let me massage your feet. You are. That is so you. I mean, it is. I'll say, I'll massage their feet and be like, tell me about your day. And I'll be like, we're going to (laughs) fuck. So true. You're like, let's cut the bullshit. Let's get to this. Like, are we going to bang? And then we can have some nachos or something and watch TV. And we can cuddle <laughs> a little bit until I get too warm. And me, I'm just like, give me all the cuddles. I will embrace you and hold you. Oh, and- fuck. That makes me want to vomit. I mean, oh, that's so romantic and nice, Scott. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Such a good man. Anyway, so as you can see, both Scott and I have very different – I do like to cuddle and shit like that, too. But I am definitely not as feely – as you are. I am very caring. I like to have really meaningful conversations with people. Like I like to laugh a lot. So if you can yeah. make me laugh, then panties coming off. Like that's well, probably going to be how that ends. Question though. What does that say about when you make yourself laugh all the time? Oh, well, <laughs> I feel hmm. like that's not an appropriate thing for this podcast to get into. <laughs> now, <laughs> uh, I just had to. <laughs> oh man! All of a sudden, we really do gotta start those only. Is it only fans or is it fan only, only fans? I, I always want to call it fan only. It should be fan only. Uh, why is it more... only fans? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Probably because fan only was taken. Maybe. <laughs> right. Let's yeah, I guess see. we could uh, just since we we're kind of jumping around a little bit. I guess we could just jump right into our 2020 watches. Um, do you have the list that you could pull up for both? Oh. Of <laughs> I didn't share it with Scott. <laughs> Scott doesn't need to see it. <laughs> I thought you had it. Sorry. I thought you could see it. Now can you nope. see it? Uh not yet. It's there it is. Oh. <laughs> see, we are prepared on the Friday nightmares. Well, I just was all like usually you look at it on your phone. Not that anyone needs to know about this background shit, but I <laughs> Yeah, we'll see if this stays in the episode or not. I'll see. Scott will keep it in. You know, sometimes you just need to know that the human side of Friday Nightmares. So It's so true. Should I start because this was a Canadian film? Yeah, why not? Why don't I start this bad boy out? So I watched and Scott watched. Scott's watched at a different time. You've seen it, right? Yeah, because this is the only one that uh, you weren't able to watch originally because it wasn't on Shudder. Right, right. And then I watched it on a good friend's flex. Uh, our good friend's the, flex. That the we, mystery actually, friend. We have two, actually, we have two flex now. Right. Oh, We're special. Shit's getting real. So I watched Random Acts of Violence. So did Scott. And it is a 2019 film. It was actually shown at TIFF, uh, which is the Toronto International <laughs> Film Festival. And it was filmed all in my area. Like, a little of it was filmed in Toronto, but the rest of it was filmed in Hamilton, and I recognized the gas station and all the areas that it was filmed at, so it was pretty fucking cool. Uh, I really dug this movie a lot. It was uh, a really good fucking slasher. I really enjoyed the acting in it. Um, 
the whole setup of the story of basically a comic book um, writer writing about the serial killer and then shit happening that was very similar to the killings is just fucking out of this world. I, I really loved it. Yeah, because I, I brought it up on our last episode that I had watched it, but yeah, this is such a good film. I think it's my number 11 or might even be my number 10. Like, I just really dug this because it's a really well done modern day slasher, very stylistic, very, uh, very good acting, and yeah. some vicious freaking kills oh yeah there was some vicious kills in it yeah and the practical effects were pretty sick too like when we do our 2020 films i'm trying to be like vague because i don't want to give it all away because then i don't want to give spoilers but this movie is definitely worth checking out and i love how it doesn't pretend not to be canadian um even though it's all filmed in canada and they pretend like he crosses into the border when all the shit starts going down right um, yeah because i noticed it started in toronto and then goes to the u.s yeah story well, and it's, and it's, you know, really capitalizing on the violence in the U.S., but um, not that we don't have violence here in Canada. Like, <laughs> people think that's not a thing, but there is. Just not as bad. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's totally worth a watch. Highly recommend it. All my Canadians, brothers and sisters, it's not on Shutter, so you need to find other means of, of watching it, but it's worth it if you can check it out. Yeah, and what is it with Canadian films on Shutter not being available on Canadian Shutter? I feel like it's because uh, we feel like Americans need to like it to validate whatever we do. I guess. It's just so weird to me. I honestly think that's the way. I feel like Canadians are just constantly trying to validate shit for the American audience. Yeah, I could see that. In my humble Heather opinion. Humble, because she is so <laughs> humble. Yes, that's right. Just like Kanye West is. <laughs> Kanye West and I can have a competition of who's more humble. It's so true. I mean, but he is running, or he was running for uh, U.S. president, so. He sure was. Oh, boy. That's your man. That's your man. Yeah, boy. Help us all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I will talk about the next one, because we both had watched this as well. Uh, one of the probably funniest titles that we've had for this year, and that would be the film Uncle Peckerhead. Which I didn't quite get what it was all going to be about. But it was pretty down to pound. Yeah, like, it was, uh, it's a horror comedy, and it's about this, like, punk metal band that ends up getting a roadie that follows him around to every one of their shows, and he just so happens to be, uh, kind of a monster. He, well, I think that's the best way to describe it. And we don't really know what kind of monster he is. Right. It's what just, is he, like, a vampire? He looks almost like a demon a demon mm, yeah maybe that's it but yeah it was really it's an independent film uh and it's really it's filmed in michigan um was it really yeah i looked it up it was filmed in michigan um no shit yeah i know see this is what i do i just well, fucking look up films. number one film it's gotta be <laughs> like, it has to be a filmed in fucking michigan it was really really entertaining it was a lot of fun um funny I really enjoyed the interaction of the characters. I really liked the typical, like, punk band <laughs> shit that it came out with. Um, I thought that was really, really cool. Yeah. Like, just, just a fun, fun film. And it can be found right now on Apple, Google, uh, Voodoo? 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 Is that what it's called? Yeah, V-U-D-U. Yeah, Voodoo. Voodoo. Okay. And then YouTube. You can, you can rent it on there right now. And yeah, I highly recommend this because this this movie was funny as hell. And once again, 
really gory with some awesome practical effects. Yeah, it was sick. Check it out. Good if you like funny. You, you gotta like statistical. Oh, not statistic. It's not a. It's not a satire. Um, you would have to just like I don't know. You have to have a sense of humor. So I'm surprised Scott liked it. But <laughs> if you have a sense of humor and you like shit like Shaun of the Dead, is that fair to say you'll probably like this one, Scotty? Uh, I would say a lot. It reminded me. Uh, yeah, because I'd say Shaun of the Dead, but it's but you know Shaun of the Dead's got the British humor, but it's you know if you find that funny, you might find this funny. I would say it's more along the lines of like deathgasm where because it's like it's various it's a very uh split it's a splatter film so stuff like evil dead evil dead 2 and deathgasm and dead alive like it's very gory and violent over top like that and yeah the humor i would say it's very similar to deathgasm awesome i've not seen deathgasm yet oh you need to that movie is so freaking good (laughs) well i do like things that end with asm well, and it kind of goes along with this movie, too, because it's about a black metal band. Mm. But they end up oh, summoning demons. <laughs> nice. I know. Well, I'm all about the demons, too. You are pounding, uh, pounding summoning those demons. Some... <laughs> anyway, God. Are, I'm going to try to behave myself before. during this podcast. It's gonna... <laughs> well, I was going to say, and I mean, it's already proven that, uh, you know, She's harassed me over the uh, last year or so about wanting to explore abandoned places and this and that. Oh, and then lo and behold, here's a picture <laughs> of Miss Powell ho- uh, hanging out with some friends who are holding an Ouija board. Hmm. In all fairness, I was not holding the Ouija board. Um, I You were just don't... possessed by the demon they summoned. I know. Probably. I don't know. We summoned it at 3 o'clock in the afternoon in a fucking gymnasium. Sounds like a fucking <laughs> horror film. Here we go. There's an idea for a horror film, Canadian-wise. Right. Um, so, you know what was horror? Those fucking bangs that I had. That, <laughs> that was styling. God, I wish some demon had come and removed those fucking bangs off of my head. Fuck, it bad. <laughs> um, so the next movie is Scott's number one click of the year. Uh, he's really, really excited about it. He actually loves it so much, he can't wait to order the director's cut and then drive around and have everybody who ever worked on it sign. Um, no matter what role they had, they could have been getting coffee, and he just loves his film so much he wants the signatures. It's open 24 hours. So, Scott, what was it really about this film that you loved that has made you want the director's cut? Oh, the fact that it's a stupid movie. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> this movie did not know what it wanted to fucking be. It felt like it had four four or five writers that all were on eight were all on freaking Ritalin trying to like just go, ooh, this idea would be cool. Oh, this idea would be cool. And then they forget <laughs> to cut out like, hey, maybe we should only have one idea. <laughs> if they were on Ritalin, they could have focused better. They were all on fucking blow. That's yeah, what no, yeah there we go. Yeah. Oh my god. Like because it's both it's pretty much about this girl that uh was dating a serial killer and she and he ends up getting uh locked away and she goes away to prison because he was forcing her to watch him kill people and she gets out and starts work at a open in a gas station that's open 24 hours kind of like gas station convenience uh very run down something you would see like in the backwoods part of uh the u.s uh just kind of oh, Canada too. You would see that up in Muskoka country and cottage. Okay, yeah, I'm just I'm just going by what I know for sure. Yeah, for sure, it would be it would be up near us too. But yeah, and then yep, think someone's like the whole is it her is it in her head or not is played oh, out fuck. throughout this whole fucking movie, and <laughs> it's supposed to be a slasher, and 
if it would have actually just went the route of like a simple slasher instead of being so stylistic and trying to do all these different things, it might have actually been good. But no, it had to do this and do this. Like, I'm not even going to say because I don't want to spoil it because I know a lot of people do like this film. So I'm going to still recommend it because, you know, obviously my taste is different than some, but this movie just pissed me right off. Yeah, I can't say I hated it as much as Scott did, but I definitely didn't. I found it boring. You know, I I think there were some excellent practical effects. I will give the movie that. Um, I will say that there was some great acting. I think the actors that were in it were great for the film that they were in. Um, And the character development I bought into. But the writing was just so piss poor all over the place just so many things didn't make sense and i feel like the actors worked the best with the script that they had and the director was like oh okay <laughs> like did the best they could to execute those scenes uh yeah because it's mainly just the plot the plot it's is a plot. So stupid yeah it, it's honestly not poorly directed not bad filmed the acting's good the practical effects are good like i feel like honestly like there was a team that came together and they looked at the script and they said this is it and they were like yeah and they were like okay well i guess we're doing it let's see how we can make this work (laughs) right like we all have to do in our workplaces i feel like that's just how shit goes down right right and i don't even know who the director is i did pull it up here on my litter box so let me take a look here um directed by padre reynolds yeah which i believe he did rites of spring or something like that because okay. I, remember, I remember venom saying something about that when they talked about it on fresh cuts and yet again good director like i would just say it was the writing now if for some reason you do want to watch this gem you can find it on apple television google play voodoo um as well as youtube and i guess the only thing that i was going to end with is we did listen. I listened to the Fresh Cuts episode with Venom, Mike, yep. Don and Ellie, and Nudie from NFW, and they all did an exceptional job. And I do agree with Nudie that I do think uh, that woman reacted how a woman would be that came out in an abusive relationship. I, I do think that that makes sense. Uh, but I think it was great that they brought all their different perspectives to the table. And I love nothing more than when Venom, so Venom is on multiple podcasts. He's on uh, no More Room in Hell, as well as In the Mic of Madness, as well as Underwater Kaiju, as well as our show, It's Not Horror. Okay. <laughs> I love when he gets angry and goes Oh, off. it's great. It's like my fave. I'm not going to lie. It's my fave. So, uh, yeah, if you uh, – I would say listen, watch the movie and listen to Fresh Cuts because you're going to find it really entertaining. Yep, because that's what, that's what I ended up doing. And, yeah, they did a – all of them did a fantastic job. And, yep, just like you, I agree with uh, – agree with nudie because i feel that's they had the right characters and they were act, uh, portraying the characters and they did a great job and represented someone that went through that type of abuse mm-hmm. it, yeah it's just that fucking plot like, yeah it was the writing the writing was just so shit and it was just so fucking disjointed um, and nothing makes me angrier than a movie that like has such uh what is the word i'm trying to think of but uh like is made so well and it looks just so good and like everything is coming together and nothing makes me more angry than like the story that just isn't there and doesn't know where to go. Yeah. Like if the story had been there, it would have made a world of difference. I agree with you hundred percent. Yeah. Cause it was just yeah. so frustrating. Uh, so yeah, I guess we can just kind of jump onto the next one, which uh, 
yeah, we both ended up watching this as well. This one ended up being released on Shudder. It was originally a 2019 film, I believe, that came out in a couple festivals, but yeah. like this is like the widest release yeah. so far. And that movie is The Shed, which is about this uh, kid that is a teenager that finds uh, a monster hiding in his uh, tool shed in his backyard. And it sounds very juvenile when we explain it, but I actually really enjoyed this movie. I, I did have some issues with the, uh, there's a lot of dream sequences. Yes, yes there is. <laughs> and I don't have the beef with dream sequences that our, our podcasting brother in arms Venom does. But even in this one, I was like, all right, guys, like I fucking get it. It's a goddamn dream sequence. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, the acting's pretty good. The special effects are pretty decent. Um, there's some scenes that really stand out in acting and others that, that don't are kind of painful to sit through. But overall, I did enjoy the concept of it. It's a 98-minute runtime, so it's perfect. I didn't feel like it was too long. I didn't feel like it was too short. And this bad boy can be found on Amazon, um, Google, YouTube, and Shutter. Yep, and yeah, I... I'm right there with you. I think it's uh, pretty dang good. It was uh, a very entertaining watch because I went in with uh, low expectations because a lot of people I heard just didn't care for it. So I was just like, all right, well, I'll just throw it on to see if it's any good. And I, I enjoyed it, especially like you were saying, the performances, especially from all the main teenagers that are in this. They all do a fantastic job. You know, and it's not like it's not 25 material, but it's not a bad movie. No, it's, like, it's it really a good, entertaining isn't. watch. I think I would have given it a 7, 6.5, probably a 7. Yeah, um, I would I have to it. do a rewatch to see if I – oh, we gave it the same. Yeah, for once. Wow. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah, it's it was good. Like, it was it was entertaining. Like, I – you know, if I wanted to get somebody into maybe horror films, I would say it's a great entry horror film. Yeah, that's that's actually a very good way of looking at it. Yep, you know, very... it's, it's not too scary, but it's it's suspenseful enough. That it's yeah. it's beyond like the teen high school like teen um horror movies. It moves more into like a like a, a moving into more serious horror. Right, more like a more modern day monster yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it because yeah, it is a good one to introduce people to. Right, because sometimes you just need to pop those cherries. Exactly, and I love popping those cherries. Pop, 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 pop. <laughs> that's what that's the sound Scott makes when it's happening. Pop, yeah. pop, 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 pop. It's like popcorn, baby. And when you hit, when you stop hearing the popcorn, better be better be, better be careful. I'm burning up. Oh my god, you're so fucking so funny. All right, is it my turn or your turn? It's your turn. Is it okay? Yeah. So the next movie we talked, we watched, uh, and we watched this one kind of just on a on a whim. It was Centigrade, and we actually did watch this one at the same time together. And it's based on thrilling true events, which I could yet again. Not find any proof of, but right. <laughs> it wait. Uh, it basically starts off with a young couple traveling to the Arctic mountains of Norway. After pulling over, driving during a snowstorm, they wake up trapped in their SUV, buried underneath in layers of snow and ice. If you've seen Open Water, you've seen Centigrade. <laughs> Only snow. The end. Fair enough. And as I, everyone knows here, I have not seen Open Water right, yet. So. And I don't know if I could give... The acting in this was extremely well done. I definitely felt a lot of anxiety. It was hard for me to watch at times, to be honest. Uh, there's just... It's a, it's a... 
there's multiple events that occur in this that I was kind of like, eh. I, if this is truly based on a true story, I think they've really exaggerated things. And there was just other things that happened that just made me really sad. And uh, yeah. I found it difficult to watch. My, uh, my heavy emotions were definitely coming out during some of the scenes. So. Yeah, because this was a very depressing film. It was. It was like, really depressing, actually. Yeah, and like, and this is once again one of those films that could have fit in our survival episode that we did. It like, it's right up there with the, all the level of those films. Because yeah, this is, this would have been a situation if this truly happened. This would freaking suck. Yeah, and and it's ninety minutes. Sorry, it's eighty nine minutes in length. Um, definitely, I consider it horror because yep. there's some fucking horrible things that happen in it. And there's that fear of freezing to death, claustrophobia, so many things that come out with it. I think unless you really like survival films, like if you really liked Open Water, the first one, then you'll enjoy this. If Open Water bothered you, I would suggest skipping this one. Yeah, I'll say I could see that because yeah, like I like because you and I both dig like the survival horror. That's why we did that topic mm-hmm. in the first place, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this one. Like, well, I shouldn't say in, enjoyed isn't the well, right. Well, you were right, entertained but, by the movie. That's a fair statement to make. Right, but yeah, it was just a heavy, heavy hitting film. But it definitely was worth the watch. Like, I think I gave it like a seven point five, maybe an eight out of ten. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just a really well done film. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's well done. I didn't give it that high, um, but it's not a bad movie. I just would say to people, like, it's a, it's a bummer. Like, it's. It's a bummer. So, it, you know, but the acting in it is really good. And if stories like that don't bother you, then, and I'm not saying anything like, oh, it didn't bother Scott. So, like, it just got to me. There was oh, just, yeah, and I think also being a female, there was just some shit that happened that I was like, you know, was just hard for me. Um, but it's a good movie. The acting is good, as he said. Yeah. And uh, where could this one be found? Hold on. I, I pulled it up. So in case anyone feels like being depressed, they can watch it nowhere because I have no list here, but I'm going to assume that it's on Google Play. Um, you can probably find it from YouTube. We or, or it could be a screener that we watched that we watched on a good friend's Plex, but they haven't listed here on Letterboxd where you can watch it yet. So maybe just keep an open mind or even open eye for it in YouTube or Amazon or okay. Google Play. All right. Well, then, uh, the next one that we'll talk about then is The Pale Door. Now, this one had Scott written all over it from the very beginning. It is a Western horror, old, like an Old West-style horror film along the lines of, like, Bone Tomahawk, Brimstone, Dead Birds, stuff like that. There's This is a part of horror that really doesn't get delved into much, but, like, there's not a lot of Western films that are horror films. Like there's some now, but this is a part of the genre I would like to see a lot more of. And when I heard about this one, I got really excited because it's about this uh, gang of people that end up robbing a train and go to find a place to hide out. And the place they hide out is at a brothel that is full of witches. I want to work at a brothel. I know you do. <laughs> bang, bang. Just, can you imagine? Pound and Powell will definitely oh, have the second meaning. I'd always get the dudes that want to talk about their feelings. That would be my <laughs> luck. Oh, I just want to cry the entire time while I help them. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But man, this film was freaking awesome. 
Like I loved. Of course, loved, you did. Loved this movie. Like it was just very tense. Great, really great performances from everybody. Like mm-hmm. the acting was amazing. The set designs for making this the old west really well done. Mm-hmm. They even used a lot of the language from that time, like Pinkertons instead of cops and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I, and yeah, the uh, some of the deaths are hard hitting and horrific and. The designs of these witches are very creepy and very monstrous and amazing score to it as well. Like, this is in my top five. Really? Yeah. You know, I'm glad to see that we're going to have two opposing lists. One that's really good, which will be mine. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Um, I know I'm actually excited to hear that because it was nowhere near mine, like, top 10 but it's not because it wasn't a good film it just wasn't my jam right which is what just didn't hit you the way it hit me well you know it wasn't a social <laughs> social political <Right>. movie about <laughs> horror and god knows i only like those fucking films so um now if they had been protesting the brothel and fighting for women's rights yeah back I in the old west that's not it. happening <laughs> would have been right up there um no i really enjoyed the special effects in this actually and i thought the story was really good the the relationship between two main characters and uh one of the things that one of the characters was hiding i thought was very interesting and then the outcome of that character made sense for you know what was currently happening in his life yeah. um so it was it was really really well done and the ladies were also like sexy and then they are not so sexy at times so it's really like it's cool and i will have to say i was uh impressed that they didn't just show a lot of pointless nudity because this would have been one of those films where they could have just gotten away with just showing all sorts of nudity because they're in a brothel and yeah no like i don't think there was any nudity surprisingly well, and I think also at that time in the West, there was nudity. Like brothels, you kept that shit to the bedroom, and it would have been yeah. very discreet on how it began, right? Like men like a show. So if you're, you know, in, in a heterosexual relationship and you're, you know, performing sexual acts, you're going to put on, especially if you are someone that does that for a living, you know that men like a show. They're visual creatures. So you're oh, going yeah. to, you know, take it slow i guess you could say a little bit and be very proud of what you have to show off so um so i just described like a strip club <laughs> it's really what it is but yeah no the movie was very 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 well done and i really really enjoyed it yeah i yeah i definitely am looking forward to doing a rewatch for this towards the end of the year just to kind of see exactly where it'll land in my top 10 but yeah right now it is my number five awesome. um pildor is available on YouTube, Voodoo, and Google Play for rent, if anyone is interested. So the next one is The Owners, which skyrocketed to my number two on my list, which is shocking. And get this, people, it's not political. No, it's to talk about the real horrors of society, so I can't get on my fucking high horse about it. Um, So this movie is i believe a scottish film they sound like they're scottish i think this is english i think you're wrong because it has Maisie williams in it who is an english actress so you don't think english and scottish people can get along no not at all <laughs> okay fine so english or scottish we're not quite sure maybe someone can confirm that for us 
because I, I didn't see any Duncan McLeishes in there. So oh well, there you go then. Obviously, then <laughs> clearly not Scottish. So anyway, um, what a good film! Like yeah. it's it's a very good story that starts off one way and then changes on its heels midway through. Yeah, the best way I could describe this is a home invasion gone wrong. Yep. And yeah, this was because uh, I literally just finished this right before we jumped onto Zoom because you watched it yesterday and you were telling me like it shot up to your number two. And I'm going, all right, nothing has landed in her top 10 in a while. And something that just skyrockets like that, I got to see it. So I yeah. had to watch it right away. I'm not sure where it's going to land on my list yet. I haven't. Uh, no one cares. I know. Oh, wow. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah this is a really good movie like great acting has Maisie Williams in it who is my one of my who played one of my favorite characters from Game of Thrones as Arya because she was a little badass in that um but yeah the performances were all really well done very creepy and just weird and I'm honestly just kind of shocked that it jumped up to your number two I, I, I could see it being in your no like top 20 but I'm, I'm surprised it jumped to your number two like the reason why is because the character change in it i really appreciate characters that can present as one way and then present as something else uh through the film and i think it takes a lot for a film to do a good job of switching protagonists and antagonists that is and very true and this film did that it did a very, very good job of taking who we were pretty comfortable with being the antagonist and the protagonist and, and switching it. And switching it right away. Yeah. It was like a light switch just turned like, around. You knew something was wrong. Yeah. And I really have respects for films that can do that. Yep. Same here. I was like, but yeah, I, I was uh, just very surprised it shot up that high for you. But Scott is saying that it is not on his top 10 and that I am wrong, but Scott is wrong. <laughs> um, so that's fine. No, it's, it's definitely something that reached, uh, reached out to me and it's the acting of it that did it for me. Yep. And I can see that. Cause yeah, this is a very good movie and I do highly recommend it. Like I could see a lot of people really digging this film. And, and I, if you have good taste like like me, it will be in your top ten. If you have bad taste like Scott, it will not be. Well, I don't even know where it is on my list yet. Jeez, I gotta sit with it still. Ugh, that's annoying. <laughs> and where to watch? Where to watch? Well, it's not even listed yet here either. So I'm going to go with Apple Store, Google Play, uh, The Usual Suspects, and possibly Amazon. All right. Uh, and then the next one is one I'm just going to briefly talk about because you had the experience to see it in a theater last year, a uh, couple weeks back. Yeah, last year. Yeah, last <laughs> That's year. not the last time you were in a theater, Scott. Right, that's true. Well, I ended up seeing Unhinged because I found out it was playing at our local drive-in, which really had not had any new movies like this entire time Corona's been going on, so I hadn't gotten a chance to get out there and go see anything because it was nothing I wanted to watch. Well, this came out and it opened, bef uh, it was a double bill with the weirdest combination of movies. Now, what was uh, it with again? It was Unhinged with Bill and Ted Face the Music. Hmm. Very odd. But uh, yeah, Unhinged was just action-packed thrill ride from the very freaking beginning and just punches you in the face and doesn't stop till the very end. It's just 
man, it was like pedal to the metal, literally, with the whole road chasing. And just, yeah, hardcore adrenaline action with horror elements, which... That's sick. Yeah, there are some pretty awesome kills and freaking uh, what's-his-face does an amazing... Russell Crowe does an amazing job as the antagonist. Like, he's just a super threat. Um, oh, man, he's a, he's a complete asshole in it. Oh, he literally is. It's yeah. Wow. But, yeah, I just had to briefly mention that one, saying it was really good movie. Enjoyed the hell out of it. Bill and Ted, uh, Face the Music, I'll bring that eh, I was... I got what I expected from the trailer. Let's just say that. It wasn't... It, it didn't uh, hit home for me and get me all excited like some of our friends that are really into it are. Like, for me, no. It was just I, okay. Yeah, it was just... It was there. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Though, I will say that uh, Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter definitely reprised their roles, like, amazingly well after being away from him for so long. Like Awesome. They, they were back to being Bill and Ted, which was great. That's um, awesome. And then, yeah, the other film, I will bring this one up briefly because, uh, well, Scott has finally gotten back into writing for pop horror again after a, quite a while, a long break. Well, there's also a bigger announcement, but we can save that title of the dark. Oh, yes, yes, we can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the movie that I ended up getting a screener for, which the my review will be out probably before this episode airs. Well, it will be out before this episode airs. Uh, that movie is called Evil Under the Skin. Skin. Let me just, uh, the reason I put this one on the list is I just want to give a forewarning to everyone. Don't waste your money. <laughs> oh, this is the... I can't believe I'm going to say this. It is the worst film I've seen this year. Which is beating, like, the, the Ouija Shark and Pigster. And, yeah, the Pigster, which has been my worst film the entire year. And this mm. topped it. Mm. And pff, the acting is dreadfully painful like they got some fairly well-known actors like i think her name was uh helen udi which she was in my bloody valentine and something uh some other film that was like in the horror genre like from the 80s and i'm going oh that's cool oh she must no don't give her lines it was that bad huh it was god awful painful painful um so let me just kind of just go on a rant here, but let's say the acting between the mother and daughter, unbelievable shit. No mother and daughter would act that way unless you're watching a fucking porn. <laughs> I was at first because there You were getting hopeful. You win, you grab some hand lotion. Right? I was like, man, this could make this, this movie a little more exciting. But no, there was a scene literally where they're sitting inside their cabin because it's about this mother and daughter that go in a cabin retreat and weird things start happening and the first night they're there the they're sitting inside because it's raining or whatever and the mother is making something for dinner and the daughter walks out in underwear and completely open bathrobe breasts hanging out and just sitting there talking to her mom and just blah 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 blah, blah like and taking shots and just partying it up and then her mother just <laughs> sitting there chatting with her to them then i'm just like what mother would just sit there and allow this to happen and just be like, oh, nope. yeah, my daughter's just topless hanging out with me. <laughs> We're doing some shots. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? And, oh. Are you sure you weren't watching Pornhub? 
I thought that's what I thought for a second. Oh my god, this was painful, and everyone in this movie just did a bad job acting. The script writing, like this, like talk about open twenty four hours was a masterpiece of a script compared to this. Like, I I actually would watch open twenty four hours and be like, here's a Golden Globe nomination for really? how good the story is because this movie. I get to the end of the movie and I'm still going, what the fuck did I just watch? What was the point of this movie? What was the story? What's happening? Like, it made no fucking sense. It was just awful, awful, awful. That's a really bad sign when it's that bad. Yeah, I like, I'm actually having the hardest time right now writing the review because I'm trying to find some positives in this just to, like, you know, say it nicely and give critical stuff, but I can't think of anything nice to say. Well, sometimes you can't. Yeah, because like I could have like a lot of the times before, I'd always use the excuse of, "Oh, this was shot really well and looked uh, like cool settings and everything." It was shot and almost looked like it was uh, someone put a sepia tone filter over top of it. <laughs> like why? <laughs> why? Oh. <laughs> oh, it was dreadfully bad. Like so, avoid- Scotty is saying avoid at all cost. Yes, gouge your eyes out instead with a spoon. <laughs> and then eat it. It'd be less painful. <laughs> amazing. I love it. Well, that, uh, on that cheery note, that ends off our 2020 films. So definitely we talked about some wins. I would say probably the best ones were The Random Act of Violence, Uncle Peckerhead, and The Owners, and The Pill Door, I would say. Yeah. And, and Hitch isn't bad either, but I would say those four are the top ones. Oh, for sure. Right. Um, definitely, I would I would recommend checking those out. I think someone is going to like those. And the shed comes up as well. For some people, they're going to consider that a 2019. I could not have watched it till 2020, so I consider it a motherfucking 2020. Um, so do I, because I didn't know where the hell to find it last year. I didn't even hear about it till this year. Yeah. So yeah. All right. Take that. Take that. So we're on to our older films, and I watched The Blob finally in 1988, thanks to a good friend's Plex, and uh, it was great. I really dug the fucking practical effects, and it was creepy. Holy shit. Like, it was actually scary. I put it on, and I was like, oh, the fucking Blob, who cares? And I'm like, holy fuck. Like, this is – and, like, people died in it that I didn't expect to die. Yeah, don't fuck with this Blob. This Blob will you in some very horrific ways. Yeah, and it took no prisoners, and it was just, it was really, and and the characters were all very likable, the teenage angst and the relationships, you felt sorry for people that died, like, it was really, really, really well done. Yeah, this is in my, like, top five remakes of all time. I just I can see why, it's a good movie. It's a really solid, good film, so I'm glad that um, I got access to it, I had a hard time finding it, and I'm glad that I got access to it and was able to watch it, it was sick. Um, now I think we both watched Prom Night 3 and Prom Night 4. <laughs> yes, we did. Um, now I watched them because, well, as, as you all know, if you listen, we're, Scott and I are obsessed with, uh, a podcast called Exploding Heads. Who are uh, they? Like, creepily, ex- 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 like, obsessed, like, keep pictures in, the, in our room of them and stuff. I keep a picture um, in my pants at all times. Just walk around with a picture of fucking exploding heads in your pants. You're like, this will help my junior become like Dave's junior. <laughs> exploding heads, 
Meet my exploding head. Oh my god. <laughs> like nightmare fuel material right there. Um, but yeah, they were fine. I don't want to give them away too much because if you do listen to exploding heads, they're going to be covering all four prom nights. Honestly, I did not like prom night three as much as I enjoyed prom night four. I felt like four was more of a legit slasher. Prom Night 3, I just felt like, was a fucking goofy-ass movie that they threw together, which was fine. It had some funny lines and shit in it, but it was even too goofy to be funny for me. I feel like it was something that was made for TV, personally. And that's funny, because I watched it, like, because I was, like, dreading watching this one, because I was just going to do the same thing, because listening to Exploding Heads, and you were telling me how bad this was, so I was dreading watching it, and I almost just skipped it, but I was like, eh, screw it, I'll throw it on. It wasn't that bad. Oh my like, god, of course it wasn't that bad. It was okay. Ugh. Like, it's pretty much just a sequel to part Prom Night 2, and they just take it with a, turn it into a weird sex comedy, and I don't know, I've I think after watching Evil Under the Skin, uh, I I think uh, even the bad 80s movies, uh, I'm just like, you know what? They're not as bad as even 80s. Under the Skin. This was 90s. This was heading into oh, that's the true. 90s. That's, yeah, this was 90s. But still, even though like, it, it's still not as bad as that movie, because like, that's, that's the lowest tier possible. And yeah, this was just, it was a weird movie, but it was just like, eh, it's not as bad as I thought it was oh, going to be. Oh, man, I don't know, dude. I feel like you got pretty low expectations, so that's the case. Because I, besides some some one-liners that i thought were funny and a couple of scenes that i thought were tolerable i personally was not a huge fan yeah so um, this isn't something i'll ever rewatch again no it, no no <laughs> it was there no, i'm not watching it again i have no reason to and then finally i watched maximum overdrive 1986 which yes I- fucking loved and that is yet a movie that is cheesy and stupid too but i feel like it's cheesy and stupid in a way that is more entertaining like when you have the trucks having a protest so they can get diesel outside and the kid communicating with the trucks in fucking morris code and the woman from poltergeist there um we made you we made you like oh my god it was so fucking funny like it was just and like the steamroller scene in the baseball park oh my favorite part is oh my god soda machine killing the coach yeah and the soda machine like i actually thought or the bridge collapsing at the beginning i I honestly thought that it was entertaining and now knowing that stephen king was like fucked up on coke throughout the entire thing it makes a lot more sense yeah, like, he was just coked out of his mind, because, like, you watch this movie, and there's so many plot holes, but at the same time, oh, yeah. you just don't care, because it's just so dumb and entertaining. But in all fairness, with, like, okay, it's about machines coming to life and taking over the planet. Do you really sit back and go, man, I really hope the plot here really follows well, some oh, kind of fucking structure? The, like, the plot hole is, you have every machine coming back to life, or coming to life on their own, Except for when it's convenient, like the couple driving their car and a couple other times where people are using machines and they're working fine, but then the other vehicles are all going crazy. But it it depended on the vehicle. If the vehicle felt that it was being appreciated, (laughs) then it didn't That's a good way of looking at it. (laughs) But when the trucks, they were just tired. They're tired of the lot lizards. They were tired. Tired of being on the road all the time. Respected. They were tired of it, and they were just like, fuck you, truckers. Fuck you, truck stop. We are fighting back. 
Oh, this movie. It's just... You know, it's an empowering story <laughs> about trucks. <laughs> and the, the struggles they go through. It's like an adult version of Thomas the Tank Engine, only for trucks. <laughs> kind of. And there's actually a, uh even lower budget version of this movie called Trucks. And mm. it's just someone else did the their own adaptation of Stephen King's uh, short story. That sounds amazing. I actually really enjoyed Maximum Overdrive. I will watch this again for a commentary and laugh my ass off because oh. I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was is, really funny. It's just such a dumb, fun, entertaining movie. Like I've, I watched it and was scared of it when I was a little kid, mainly because of the noise that the trucks made, the chomp, 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 whenever they got close to people. Oh, yeah, it's great. The music in it's great, or like the chick with uh, Emilio, you make – you may not, you make love like a hero. Yeah. There was. Fuck, that's funny. I could never pull off saying that line to a dude. I wouldn't be able to say it with a fucking straight face. I'd be like. I, no, you, you, you could not say anything like that. No, that I want to be romantic I'd for be another. Like, <laughs> I'd be like, this is the dumbest shit I've ever heard. <laughs> fucking says this is funny. First of all, I don't like to use making love. Making love is something dudes do while I fuck them. That's not how that goes down. <laughs> Ah, and a little bit more of Heather comes out. Yeah, like everyone's surprised, right? Um, <laughs> but no, I, I really love that movie. I thought it was awesome. And then you got some older ones to talk about, my friend. Well, you and I both have this one to talk about. Lake oh, yeah, Mungo, Mungo. Which, yeah, this one I think had a bigger impact on you. Like it was, I really liked it and it creeped me out. Oh, it but, was creepy. It was one of the best mockumentaries I've ever seen. Yeah, and... You watched it and were like just praising it. And I'm like, okay, I finally got to see this. And I had no idea this was a mockumentary. Like I thought it was just going to be like a typical found footage ghost yep. horror film. And I go into going, oh, this is like something you would watch on like, like the Discovery Channel mm -hmm. or something like that. But it's like a real life story being told. Like, and man, they did a really good job with this. Like they really did. And the and the story and the oh, some of the things they show at the end and. Just the way they kind of go back and forth between um, timelines a little bit is just so effective. Like it is, it's creepy. Like it's, it literally gave me the willies. Like, I, like I, very few movies creep me out. But first of all, I believe in ghosts yep. and the paranormal. Um, so already you have me there. And just the acting in this, the way it was filmed, the way the plot developed, the way everything was delivered, it was incredible. It was a great film. Like, I, I'm sad that I missed this one, but I'm glad I finally got a chance to check it out. Yeah, same here, because I've heard of it for so long. But yeah, like, I'm finally, I'm happy I finally got to see it. And yeah, very good movie. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I'll jump onto one that I've also heard a lot of praise about, and that is Fade to Black from 1980. Uh, I've heard about this one on like slasher films and other uh, just horror movies in general talking about this one and it's basically about a kid who is obsessed with cinema to the point that he is a lonely sad guy that like all he does is he watches movies over and over and over again and, like memorizes lines remembers quotes um, and like literally is obsessed with these films and he ends up uh falling like head over and heels in love with this girl that he meets at a diner who reminds him of Marilyn Monroe and he starts stalking her and then he gets bullied because of how he acts and stuff like that and 
when he starts getting bullied, he ends up snapping and dressing as some of these villains from some of these films that he's seen and kills his victims like the villains would have in the movies. Like he dresses up as a gangster and shoots someone and like starts speaking like the guy that's dressed as the gangster. And that's kind of cool, actually. Yeah, he dresses as the mummy and kills someone else. And yeah, he just he'll just dress himself up and go on this killing spree of people that just hurt him and picked on him. And mm. it's a sad movie because it's just like, you know, someone that just became obsessed with film that's a lonely dork just gets pushed too far. You and, know, and that's what happens when you bully people. Maybe people just shouldn't bully people. Right? You know? And yeah, it's like a really, really good movie. I did not expect it to be like uh, so just impactful like it was. I mean, I'm just like this really like I can I can relate to this a bit. <laughs> really? Yeah, like I mean, we'll just be in the obsessed cinema nerd that I am, and then like I was like picked on for some of the knowledge that I have for being like that. And I'm like, sorry, I, Scott, I, that I pick on you for the knowledge that you have. It's okay. I won't kill you, Heather. You know what, though? I kind of would deserve it if you did. Like, in all fairness, like, I don't think anyone would look back on these podcast episodes and be like, she didn't have it coming. Like, I don't think anybody would say that. No, if anything, I'll just kidnap you and lock you up and then force you to watch Gremlins 2 over and over and over again. As long as I can have snacks. Um, I will give you, uh, uh, let's see, kale chips. What the fuck is wrong with you? Just kill me. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Go back well, to your fucking Fade the Black movie, nerds. <laughs> well, that was the end of Fade the Black. I was going to jump into the next It movie. sounds good. I want to check that out. 1980, you said? Yep. And that one is also on our good friends Plex. Our good friends Plex. And you can probably find it on YouTube. Yeah, probably on YouTube. And I probably might be playing on Prime somewhere. Like, might be Prime or Rent. Okay, cool, Leo. Cool, Leo. Um, but then one that I checked out that was kind of uh, in the category for this uh, show it was possibly going to go into our main topic, but it's called What Keeps You Alive from 2018. And this one was on U.S. Netflix, and it's about a lesbian couple that has been together for about a year. They go to a cabin in the woods just kind of as a anniversary getaway. And then, well, I guess when you're in a relationship, you should get kind of shocked when you uh, find out that someone you love is not who they've been playing themselves out to be the entire time and it ends up being a hunt for survival or yeah like yeah pretty much a hunt for survival in the middle of the wilderness wow very tense emotional like just balls of the wall it's really freaking good well if there's anything you and I like it is balls balls to the walls yeah, to the window, to the, to wall. the floor. <laughs> anyway. to the, to, I'm not going to go that far. <laughs> I was but, like, uh, you don't know it. You're so white. Please stop. I'll say, to the sweat drop down my balls. All these female crawl. Oh, for <laughs> God's sake. You hear that, ladies? Ah, <laughs> oh, skeet, skeet, motherfucker. Ah, oh, skeet, skeet. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I, I know a lot of the lyrics to that song. <laughs> but uh, that's how white I am. <laughs> But, so white that he's like, I really need this vacation. <laughs> oh, here we go again. Great, Scott. None of us need a vacation. Thank you for highlighting how much you're you needed this vacation. A, you're such a fucking smart ass. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's true. That's why I deserve to die. Like, seriously, people. If, if, nope. You know, in all fairness, Scott nope. has a lot of hours of defense. This is why you deserve to be locked up and forced to eat kale chips watching Gremlins 2. <gasps> you know what's more upsetting about that whole situation? Kale chips. 
I know. Like, that know. is not really Gremlins 2 that I'm kind of upset about. It's fucking, like, why couldn't you even give me something nicer than that? Well, you know? I got, I'm, I'm just, I'm punishing you. Fuck. <laughs> I know right. what, I know how to hit you where it hurts. Yeah, like, what the fuck? Oh and, I'll, and what I'll do is I'll eat nachos in front of you, but Oh, not you me. motherfucker. <laughs> oh. Like, yum, 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 yum. <laughs> Yummy in my tummy, Heather. Oh my god. Go with your next movie. I don't want to <laughs> listen to your shit anymore. But yes, I just gotta go back to what keeps you alive. No, you don't. I... You're done talking about it. You've lost your opportunity to continue. What keeps Heather alive? Eating <laughs> yummy nachos and forcing her to eat kale chips. Not eating kale chips. Fucking kale chips. Anyway. Uh, but yeah, I recommend What Keeps You Alive. This movie is really well done. Amazing. Performances are all fantastic. And it's very tense. Um, and also stars the uh, main female from that uh, It Turns the Sands Red, that zombie movie where she was the exotic dancer being chased by the zombie. In the oh, movie. cool. Yeah, she's in that as well. And nice. yeah, amazing, amazing movie. Go check this out. And then the last one I will bring up was, I believe, a made-for-TV style thriller type movie, but called Bad Match, which was out 2017. It is available on YouTube is where I caught it for free. And it's pretty much about a guy that is a just kind of a piece of shit that will Swipe right, swipe right on all these women on dating apps until he connects with like someone that he's attracted to. He'll go out with them, and he'll be a smooth talker and like know all the right things to say. Take them home, bang them, or he'll go to their place, bang them, and then he'll pretty much fuck them and leave them, and then never call them back. Nothing again ever, ever happens after that. And he, like his friends, will be like, "Why the hell do you do that?" He's like, "Well, she slept with me on a first date. I don't want to be with a woman like that." But he's going around. <laughs> Just doing this like on purpose. Well, he ends up doing this to the wrong type of chick who becomes obsessed with him and won't leave him alone, calling him at his job, calling him on his phone, uh, making excuses and saying like she's her uh, saying that she's uh, the doctor or a nurse at a hospital calling his work and saying his mother got in a car accident just to get him on the phone. And, like pretty much just going, wow. you get what you deserve on this one and it was actually for a made for tv movie like pretty damn good where did you find it uh, it was free on youtube this sounds like something i would watch yeah it's like especially if you like because i know you love the some of those netflix horror uh, thriller style uh films kind of like the mm -hmm. one that we watched with uh, omar epps in it recently yeah it's predictable but i still find them fun sometimes yeah you um, and this one kind of gives you a uh swerve too that you're just not expecting and then mm. like, i figured it out towards the end but like at first i'm going wait this isn't starting to add up but yeah you really, I recommend your big this. brain and you were like i got this shit i, got, I, I figured this, this out going on. that's <laughs> yeah. awesome yeah this was just kind of one i looked up because i was trying to find like relationships gone wrong style horror films or dating gone wrong horror films and this one popped up and yeah i'm kind of glad i checked it out it was just a fun easy watch that's awesome i would never bother if some dude was like banged me and left i'd be like perfect <laughs> just what i needed just needed a good banging oh, and be then you know and if i really wanted a relationship i probably wouldn't take them home on the first night to be honest with you right you know uh, or maybe i would i don't know like i think it would depend i don't think there's anything wrong with having sex at any stage um mm. with meeting somebody i think that's not at all, all. 
up to the people that are involved. But some piece of shit like that, he sounds like a fucking loser. And there's dudes out there that are like that. Oh yeah, this is like chicks that probably do the same thing, only maybe more emotional blackmail and stuff like that. Yeah, because I'll say I know I know there's no doubt in my mind that there's men that use these dating apps just to use women for a quick bang and be it be out. And like you know what, that can be emotionally fucking damaging to the person on the other end of that. It can be, or it could be like me, and I could be like whatever. Right. Well, I'll say like (laughs) you you are the type of person that would establish this type of shit right off the bat too. He'd be calling my ass the next day, and I'd be like, dude. No, we're done. mm, Yeah, I had my fun. (laughs) (laughs) turn the fucking tables around anyway like like i would get that many people wanting to bang me on a dating app i don't think oh you absolutely would oh thanks kai you absolutely (laughs) they all been banging (laughs) Howard and powell getting her nickname again (laughs) that's right right and you know it's such a double standard right like how women like i put emotional stake into sex absolutely you know i don't have sex with someone i'm not attracted to but like not like i have sex with someone i'm like he shall love me forever because we made love like i I understand now as a 30s like in my 30s that like sometimes sex is just a transaction yeah and i think it really depends on you know for me i would i i haven't slept with that many people well i guess it depends what you consider that many but it's all been meaningful it's never like i've i've had sex with someone i didn't know who they were where they lived you know there was some kind of relationship there and i don't know i just think it's an interesting like they always present these women that they bang someone and they get super sad afterwards and the guy doesn't call back maybe like the sex wasn't that good and she don't give a shit right, <laughs> right? like or maybe she was like great i got what i needed too fuck i don't want to put up with your shit having you in my house trying to pay your fucking bills like <laughs> you know what i mean like I, oh it's I, so true it's so stereotypical that these women are emotionally upset that this guy bangs and leaves and like some chicks might not even give a fuck <laughs> right and they don't present that side of it but then you wouldn't have a horror movie so it'd be a pretty short movie <laughs> yeah, right exactly bang right? the person and then they never call back right well or or he becomes obsessed with her because she doesn't oh yeah upset. that that, that would have been a right? good turnaround right so anyway i guess that ends our older films Yep, so yeah, we can jump right into what we've been listening to. So you got the first one, so I'll let you go ahead. So two very well-known podcasters run this podcast. Uh, JP, or Justin Patrick, from 22 Shots, as well as Carly from uh, Netflix and Chill, Celluloid Dissections, and N versus N Movie Podcast, and also multiple guest appearances that both of them have been on, have a podcast that they started in January of this year, and it's called His and Hers Movie Podcast, which I think is extremely clever that they're playing on that hers and hers perspective uh it's such a like a, a store thing when people get married and shit like that there's always his and hers his or right. hers bathroom his or hers products and it's a podcast consisting of two friends of the opposite sex who talk about horror new films retro films and more they cover they cover a variety of movies for anything from the new mutants to peninsula they talked about sharp week dead dicks which i think is really funny they typically look at 2020 or 2019 films 
And they're good friends. Like, of course, we know the background of Carly and JP and that they have a very, very strong friendship. They're actually at a drive-in as we speak this weekend that Scott and I were hoping to go to this drive-in thing. But unfortunately yeah. for me, road borders are still closed, so I was not able to go over. And uh, Scott, I guess, just couldn't go for yeah. whatever reason. Finances were a bit tight. Yeah. It's Because uh, I would have to take a plane out there. Oh, you would have to fly? Pen- oh, yeah. Cause how far would it be for you? I think it was like over... 11 hours 12 hours really yeah wow because for me it would be about a three-hour drive yep i'm looking it up right now but yeah i think it's around uh, 11 when i looked it up the last time oh yeah so you would have to fly for sure so it'd be like a two-hour flight yeah and i would have to pick you up and yeah okay yeah i, I get i get what you're putting down so Anyway, uh, they were on Horophilia. They have switched over to the Dark Discussion Network. And I think they do a really good job of bringing each other's different perspectives. Like JP has a lot of knowledge and so does Carly. And I think they just come together really well. They sing a lot in some of their episodes. (laughs) Yes, they do. And I think that's awesome. They have the chemistry there. And I think if you're looking for another male-female podcast, which is entertaining to listen to and informative of what's currently going on in the 2020s and or, or recent in the last two years, check out his and hers movie podcast. I completely agree because yeah, they like you were saying, their chemistry is really good. It shows right on the audio. Like you can tell, they have been best, best friends for a very long time. They both uh, give each other shit, which is very funny. Like they both dish it and take it at the same time. And yeah, both really great at reviewing. Carly is like one of the younger ones in our podcasting community and she brings the fucking knowledge like and brings a perspective that you know with a lot of us older horror nerds don't really see like she brings like a different eye to it which is nice too. And I know that you you didn't mean anything by that statement um but I hear a lot of people talk about Carly's age and to be honest with you I think it's fucking ridiculous. I think that for us to think that a younger just because she's 23 years old that she doesn't have any and i'm not saying you said this but i just see a lot of people bring up her age all the time and i just wish people would stop because i don't think we should talk about a that she's a female a that she's young i think we should just talk about what she brings and what she brings is knowledge it doesn't really fucking matter what age you're at um i just think that as a horror fan and maybe i will allow as a female because there's not a lot of female podcasters compared to males I think she's very confident in what she has to say. And I think that she comes from a perspective that is unique to her. Yes. That's a better way of putting it. (laughs) Yeah. And that was nothing towards you. I just think people point out her age all the time. And I just don't feel like that's that's relevant. I think what's relevant is who she is and what she brings. Yeah, I get get that. That makes a lot of sense. So. Uh, Then, yeah, I guess I will... uh jump on to the podcast I listen to, and that is uh, the podcast Under the Stairs, hosted by the madman himself, Duncan McLeish. Man, I could just listen to this dude's accent just speak to me all day. <sighs> yeah, because you think it's sexy. Oh, it's such a great, I love the accent of his. Um, but yeah, he he is like insane he does so many episodes and podcasts like i don't know how this man has a time to has time to be a husband and a father there's not much going on in life just a lot of sheep i guess because man that guy's a lot of fog (laughs) yeah a lot of fog (laughs) but uh one thing that's going on right now 
uh, and involves a ton of our fellow podcasters is the summer series. Mm-hmm. And like they, I think they're going through, was it 2000 to 2010? Mm-hmm. And yeah, they're, they're doing like one episode with like five or six people discussing like the top 10 of each of those years. And it's kind of like a round table discussion and it's a lot of work. Like I got to give props to everybody that was involved in this. Cause I think we got invited to be part of it, but I just, as much got, as I was honored, there was just too much tagged, going on. But neither one of us moved forward with it. And yes. I, and it truly is because of the work that's in it. Yeah. Um, I just don't have the threshold. And personally, I don't think I'm that good. I, I think when it comes to something like that, that's not where my strengths are. And I can admit where my, but you could do it. I don't think I have the strength to go into summer series and argue for a movie that other people should, like it should win. Right. Um, Cause I don't care enough. Yeah, exactly. and, and that's just not who I am. I think the people that are in it are very good at that and yeah. they have their rightful place at the table. Yeah, and these episodes are very interesting to listen to, like getting all these different opinions. And they're very long episodes too, so be prepared for that because I think they're anywhere between four and a half to five hour long episodes each for each year. Yeah, it's an investment. Yeah, it's an investment, but you know, it's worth it for all the hard work they have put into it. And he also does all sorts of different styles. Like he's he's a solo caster for the most part. Mm-hmm. Like he reviews newer films on his own and like just they could be quick releases or it could be like a little bit more longer discussions. He does the Russian roulette franchises where it's he will put out a post on Facebook and call on other podcasters that want to join and he'll say, We're doing a Russian roulette style for this franchise. Anyone want to join? And whoever comments, he'll write their name down, put it in a hat. And then he'll write down the name of all the movies and their sequels for that franchise, put in a different hat, and he'll just randomly draw someone and the movie and put them together and be like, all right, you're reviewing this movie with me. And he'll just, and he'll go through the entire series where everyone else just has to watch one movie. I didn't and, know that he does that. That's really interesting. Yep. That's how I ended up working with him. I unfortunately got the fucking short straw because we did the uh, Puppet Master franchise. And my name was the very first name he pulled out of the hat and the movie that he pulled oh god puppet master the legacy that was not good it is literally the most laziest film i've ever seen like it's got 10 minutes about 10 minutes of new footage and the rest is a clip show of the first six films wow and that is the one and only movie I have ever in my life given a flat out zero out of 10. Wow. Because there was just nothing creative about it. Him and, and I both agreed. for you. Yeah. And like, it was fun doing it though, just because it was like, uh, I listened to, to that show. Yeah. I listened to that. Yes, I did listen to that. Yep. So that's yes. the Russian roulette franchise, like or Russian roulette. He'll do that with like a bunch of podcasters. And that's I think, awesome. I think they just did the Jaws franchise for Russian roulette recently. That's awesome. I don't know if I will have a chance to work with him. Um, but if I ever do, I think it would be a real privilege. Yeah, he is a very fun and awesome person to work with. Great he seems like it. I, I feel like he, he truly is. And I from listening to him as well, I just think he has a lot of maturity and the way he presents himself. And I have a lot of respect for people that do that. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think it's awesome. And uh, yeah, Summer Series props out to all our Horror, horror podcasting brothers and sisters that were involved. 
a lot of work went into it. So yeah, you guys are freaking champs because I don't know if I could pull that that much. Well, maybe Scott will do it next year. I will still not, but maybe Scott will do it next year. I don't know if I'll have the time for it. <laughs> we'll no. see though. That's a lot yeah, of work. Depends if he's banging all them bitches and then leaving like bad match. Oh my god. <laughs> That's not happening. <laughs> He's right. I'd be staying and cuddling and being like, hold me and tell me how beautiful I am and how beautiful this was. Oh, and can we, I can't stop crying because of how beautiful this session was. <laughs> See, now you've turned me into this weak little softy. No, hey, there is nothing wrong with a man that is strong enough to show his emotions. Oh, I know that, that is not unattractive at all. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. What is unattractive is crying during sex. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, That's what I was getting at. Is there a story no. behind that no. that you would like to share with the rest of the class, Scott? <laughs> oh, there, there is a story I'll share involving me crying here coming up soon, but. I don't think I've ever cried during sex. No, I've never done. No, it wasn't during sex. Ah, I've thought about now. laundry and other things. <laughs> I remember I banged a dude watching Tremors, and uh, I we I got him to put me in a position so I could continue to watch the movie because I was really bored with what was going on. Oh, that is. Uh, we were kids. Like I was like seventeen. In all fairness, like, but. Uh, I would do that now. I just make it better. Right. But at seventeen, I was all like, "Tremors is on. I need to see what happens." We need, we need to see this movie. Shh, right. Shh. Yeah. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Stop shaking me so much. Yeah. 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 I was like, "Can you just like? You shouldn't be lasting this long. You're like fucking nineteen. We should be moving, <laughs> 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 moving on." Anyway, sorry. What was your Scott about you crying? Oh yeah. Sex? So I guess I could jump into this wonderful embarrassing story but you know what this is the scott show so a little bit more about me so this was my very first date after my divorce and probably should have not gone on this date because it was probably only like four weeks after separating with my ex but i wanted to bang well i wanted to put myself back out there and experience dating and you like, wanted to I'm not Heather. I'm not pounding Powell over here. Mm, like, the way I look at it is, if it happens, awesome. But I'm not looking into that. But uh, we went into the, uh, went to this date, met this girl, and Scott had a little too much to drink. But, like, not realizing how much he had to drink because we were sitting down. And apparently I said something. I don't remember what because I was so blackout drunk that pissed her off and she got really angry at me and I got really upset and walked outside and when I stood up realized how smashed I really was <laughs> and more or less just stumbled outside and I started like crying in my car <laughs> I've heard the story before people that's why I'm laughing because I know about the story and I shouldn't laugh at him but <laughs> and uh she comes and covers me and tries to find me like we're trying to get an Uber and all that stuff for me because there's no way I'm driving home. And then all of a sudden she just starts kissing me while I'm crying. I'm like, what the heck? And then I just, it just became a makeout session after that. But yeah, that was a, uh, not a good night. And I never, never talked to her again. 
More like she probably didn't talk to me again on that one. (laughs) Well, she made out with you, so she must have liked it somewhat. True, but oh boy, that was... Who paid the bill, (laughs) by the way, when you guys stormed out? Oh, good question. Did we? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I don't remember if I did. That poor bartender's like, so man, there was this one night where this dude started bawling, this chick chased after, and they were making out in the car, and I was just like, you know what, we'll take the loss for the bar. Maybe, Maybe they'll end up being together someday. Yeah, so that was a night that uh, did not go very well, and Scott should have probably waited a little longer before putting himself back out there on the dating scene. Oh, Scott, you know what? You you were you you know towards the end of a marriage, there's not a lot of affection that goes on, and sometimes you get starved for it, and you just you you want that affection. And, you know, I don't think rebounding is the worst thing in the entire planet. I am so anti every fucking relationship book that's out there. (laughs) I think that if you need to do what you need to do to get through the day, and as long as you're clear with somebody like, look, I just got out of a a long-term relationship. I just got out of a marriage. I'm really not looking for anything serious. But if you want to hang out and, you know, this is what I'm comfortable with doing sexually, then I don't see the problem. Like, I don't, I don't know why people go on dates and think they need to get fucking married. Like, you know, like any kind of decision to have a committed exclusive relationship that's going to lead to marriage, it's going to come later on. Yeah. Like you're just feeling each other's shit out and seeing if you even can stand each other for copious amounts of time. Like that's kind of what you're working towards. Right. Exactly. And yeah, I think I was just more or less just trying to use it as a way to get over everything I was just dealt dealt in life and just tried to move on i don't think there's anything wrong with that i just think it's a shame that she acted like a complete bitch and whatever you could have said knowing you the as well as i do and of spending many a times hammered with you i can't imagine you had said something that bad like i i it's yeah, not I, like i would say something that bad but you would not say something that bad yeah i i'm i i honestly don't even remember what could have been said like it just baffles me yeah i think she's just being a bitch because you are extremely careful with your words yeah like you not me i don't care i say whatever i think (laughs) so i could make someone cry and that would be a valid and i have made people cry um not by purpose but by mistake obviously right um but yeah so i don't know i think she was just being weird and put in like really (sighs) You know, she could have seen that you were intoxicated and also known not to do that. Like, some people just don't think. They just don't think. Right. That is true. Right. Anyway. Yeah, that was one of the stories. I'm sure I'll have more as we continue into our main topic. (laughs) Of Scott crying after the dates more and more. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so we are going to take ourselves a quick break and have a, we'll put a promo in for one of our fellow podcasters. And we will be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. This will keep you quiet. Oh, hi there. I didn't see you. You caught me cutting a new show. I'm Bo Ransdell, and I'm one of the many creators you can find on Legion Podcasts. I said quiet. My fellow podcasters and I work hard to bring you the best in horror podcasting. But that comes at a cost. 
not that, but also, yes. No, what I'm getting at is that there are server costs, costs for good microphones and software for editing, all the things that make our shows, you know, fun to listen to. And you can help. If you're enjoying the shows on legionpodcasts.com or in the Legion Network available on iTunes and Stitcher, just about anywhere you can download a podcast, really, you can help us out and get a little something for your trouble at patreon.com forward slash legionpodcasts. For just two bucks a month, you get a pair of movie commentaries exclusive to Patreon, and for $5, you can also join us for a monthly screening of a movie. All of that available on patreon.com forward slash Legion Podcasts. We appreciate it, and thank you for listening. Now, back to the cutting room. Welcome back. Um, in case you haven't figured it out already, our main topic is relationships and horror, or is it horror relationships? Either way, um, we are going to be talking about a couple of movies that we really feel highlighted relationship issues and, and really kind of use it as part of the horror movie plot. So, but before we get to that, we want to talk about this concept of love, <laughs> the sweet, sweet love. And I found a great article, The Day Love Was Invented in the Past and Love Didn't Exist. And it's by a professor. Um, it's on psychologytoday.com. And he talks about where we've moved from the concept of love starting in Greek, Greek mythology to now. So these days, few people think of marrying without having feelings of love for their partner. Love is what brings us together. And it lacks, and the lack of it drives us apart. But it hasn't always been this way. There was a time when the question of love was not an issue. Beginning in ancient Greece, the consent of marriage was given by the father of a bride who wasn't allowed an opinion of her own. So it was the father who had to be the convinced of the interest union of his daughter with a rich or pretentious or at least worthy family would bring. The ability to seduce, convince the young girl that she was loved could never love, nevertheless make her feel more accepting in the situation, simply physical attraction and pure calculation of financial interest. Like none of that's a shock. I don't think anyone is like, oh, you don't say. Right. <laughs> in the Middle Ages, the Catholic Church instituted the, the sacrament, sacrament of marriage. The blessing to be given to the spouses was a transmutable physical love into a spiritual one. So since true love was supposed to be a consequence of religious wedding, it may have been unnecessary to have true feelings for the person to one who was about to marry love was supposed to arise in the marriage and from marriage. So the idea is that you are coming together to build love so that the feelings felt before marriage were of little consequence. So this concept of arranged marriage, right? If we look at the dated concept of arranged marriages, because most arranged marriages don't work like this anymore. The idea that people are connected from a young age and they are set to be married and the love grows between them. Rain, arranged marriages now more look like there's a courtship. The courtship is usually short though in duration and leads to a quick marriage. Um, but the idea is that love and everything is supposed to develop within that marriage. By the end of the 11th century and into the 12th centuries, when poets of South France invented l'amour courtis, courtly love, love emerged as an essential theme in relationships between men and women. Courtly love was a brand new revolutionary idea that was opposed to marriage and its sacraments. With this concept, true love only existed in a chaste form and was not linked to marriage because marriage was only glorified in sanctification of a physical or ordained love. Right? 
Then yep. we have flash forward to statistics of divorce nowadays <laughs> <laughs> have shown us that this idea of undying love and that love is owed to everyone except at all times is not true. Yeah. We constantly live with this belief of a perfect love and the wonderful happily ever after love, um, which we forget that love is true love is primarily found within ourselves. So I think it's a pretty interesting point that we, we created the institution of marriage. We, we've created the idea of concept of love. Um, a really funny opinion article by Mark Manson, um, a brief history of romantic love and why it kind of sucks, I thought was pretty funny. And he talks about how romantic love came to be a cultural centerpiece in Western society and why it screws us all up. So humans evolved the ability to become attracted to each other, and that is the ability to love each other. It helps us survive. This isn't exactly romantic or sexy, but it's true. Right. <clears throat> we didn't involve big fangs or huge claws or insane gorilla strength. Instead, we evolved the ability to emotionally bond into communities and families where we became largely inclined to cooperate with each other for beneficial good. These communities and families turned out to be more, far more effective than any claw or fang humanity to dominate the planet. As humans, we instinctively develop loyalty and affection for those who show us the most loyalty and affection. This is all love really is. An irrational degree of loyalty and affection to another person to the point that we come to harm or even die for that person. It may sound insane, but these symbolic warm fuzzies that keep the species alive, keep the species relying on one another enough to survive the savannas and populate the planet and, of course, invent Netflix. I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> That's pretty good. So Pluto argued that the highest form of love was actually this non-sexual, non-romantic form of attachment to another person, this so-called brotherly love. Um, and this passion and so reasoned correctly that since passion and romance and sex often make us do ridiculous things that we regret, like crying mm -hmm. outside of bars, right. the sort of this passionist <laughs> love between two family members or between two close friends was a heightened of human experience. In fact, Plato, our, yeah, Plato, like most people in the ancient world, looked upon romantic love with skepticism and if not, horror. What an interesting statement, Scott. Yeah. That's... And, and and for being married and divorced, I buy this shit. They write this like I can relate to this big time. And I'm not anti-love. Okay, I'm not that clear. Right. And obviously I'm definitely not. No. But what I do believe a true, good, strong any relationship is built off of is mutual trust and respect and friendship. Right. And I am not so concerned with whoever I'm with being monogamous to me. I am with them supporting me through sharing financial costs that we may incur together or having my back if something traumatic happens or having a good time with. I, I honestly put the most value in someone that I have fun with, that I have enough stuff in common with to have good conversation and that I can rely on to help pay bills or, or to be there to have my back. I don't like the idea of labels to that anymore. I find that that labeling for me is not important. And I also don't care about monogamy. I don't think that somebody, I think it's, it's very difficult to ask someone to be sexually com committed to somebody for their entire life. I think that's a very big challenge. And yes. I'm not saying someone should have multiple relationships, but if one person happens to bang someone one day in Las Vegas on a trip with the boys, would that ever be a reason for me to end something that's good? No, it wouldn't be. 
um, what I don't know can't hurt me. And I know that's probably going to be a very unpopular opinion on this podcast, but I, and yet again, you have to go with what works for those people. If you are in a monogamous marriage and you're very happy with how that works and it works for both of you, that's awesome. And I, and no one's going to come in here and tell you you shouldn't live life that way. But I think people all need to live lives that work best for them as long as it works for the person they're with. Yeah, I completely agree. Cause yeah, like you said, it makes sense. Cause obviously this is why there are, our divorce rates have gone up is because not like asking someone to be monogamous with one person for the rest of their life is almost impossible. There are the exceptions out there, obviously of people that have been together their entire lives, but there are reasons why, like we have a lot of these divorces. There's just people we can't stand after a while, or there's relationship issues in another way, which we'll get into a little bit later. Mm Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah, it makes absolute sense. Like with the whole non-monogamy thing nowadays, I, I like completely am in support of it, and you know have dabbled with it a little bit too. Well, and I think it's important that when we say in support of it, we're in support of people who are comfortable with that with each other. Yes. And I think the big thing here, and and non-monogamy doesn't mean you go out and bang everything that moves. Right. What basically I think Scott and I are talking about that if someone chooses to have sex with someone else outside of a relationship and that and the two people that are in that main relationship have decided that if that happens they just don't want to know about it people agree to use protection you know if we look back to human survival we're attracted to human beings we develop the concept of communities and marriage to order to keep things focused and in order to keep things in control and nothing is wrong with that if that is something that really shapes who you are as a person and your values that is awesome and that is okay but not everybody needs to follow down those same footsteps it is possible to have platonic love with many people i think it's very hard to maintain very multiple really emotional relationships at one given time romantic ones because i just think there's not enough hours in a day right but i think it is possible and more and more we're hearing about people having open marriages or open relationships or whatever they want to call them, non-monogamy, where if that person steps out, it's not a big deal. And it's not necessarily talked about because it's not needed. And I think when you give someone that freedom, A, I think they're less likely to do it because they have the freedom now. So they're going to be selective of when they choose to, because it's not as much as like sneaking around someone's back. And I think it just comes down to making those guidelines clear between people. Yeah, because in that type of relationship, you guys have to be completely open and honest with each other. Clear communication needs to be in, like involved. Like, About what you want, not necessarily yes, where you not, go and what you do. Yeah, exactly. But what is going to be, what is the norm here, right? Yeah, what is expected. And to me, the most important things for a relationship that equals love, and I look at love like how I love you and I love my friends and I love partners and then everything that I that I have within my life and i think about friendship first and respect the people that are the most important to me are people who i enjoy my time with that i don't feel like what i like to say are work quote unquote um they're easy to talk to we we can joke about things together they make me feel good about myself and respect and they respect each other's wills we respect what each other wants we respect each other's dreams and visions And I associate with people that have the similar values to me, right? When it comes to friendship or otherwise. And when I started doing that, my life got a lot easier. I went from relationship to relationship of trying to figure out shit. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've been cheating on many a times, marriages in um, 
dating relationships. And now I look back on that and really that wasn't the biggest deal. The reason why um, my marriage ended was because of abuse and because I had to make a very hard decision about that person choosing to put it, put their hands on me and also uh, financial issues of not knowing where money was coming from and lies and, and misbelief that way. But it wasn't infertility that led me to want to end a marriage. That's not actually the case. Right. Um, so I think it's just interesting that we've, you know, are forgetting that we really are these, you know, <laughs> these, these animals that are attracted to each other. That's how we managed to populate the human race for so long. Right. Is, yeah, exactly. Is we are, we are attracted to each other. So um, an ideal relationship starts with sexual attractiveness and then grows into a full relationship full of platonic love and mixture of friendship and sexual chemistry. And that sexual chemistry, you do have to work to maintain over a period of time. And that can be done with bringing the other in, whether that be the other person or that person dressing up or role-playing and stuff like that. But there's a way that you need to keep that fresh because we are animalistic. We do have natural urges. That's why men like to watch porn. And that's why they like to check out chicks. And that's why women fantasize about men or, or stuff like that. We all have that fantasy of the other because it's animalistic. And you have to choose in your relationship, whatever romantic relationship that you choose to be in, how you're going to meet that need. Whether it's going to be with each other, whether it's going to be outside that relationship, and you both got to be on board with it. Um, exactly. So anyway, that's, that's I, I kind of tied in my own personal beliefs on there, but that's really what we're looking at is we're looking at we've constructed love, we've constructed marriage, we've constructed communities, and how do we make these work and how is it reflected within horror? So I'll let you talk about your part of it. All right. So this may almost kind of sound bitter, but I'm going to talk about the conflict in relationships. Uh, so I found an article, once again, from Psychology Today, actually. Uh, as anyone who's been in a relationship for more than a few days knows, conflicts between partners are unavoidable. They can crop up for any number of reasons, but very often it is because of some perceived inequality in the relationship. Why inequities can cause conflicts is best explained through what researchers call social exchange theory. According to this theory, marriage can be looked at as a barter system. Each of us strives to get certain benefits from our partner. We have we also understand there are things of similar value we have to give in return if we're to receive these benefits. Said another way, while we might like to do or say nice things to our partner, there are usually strings attached. Which, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like, There's so, always strings. Yeah. Like, and this whole bartering system, like, that makes absolute sense to me now. Like, mm -hmm. you're hearing it put out like that. Because, yeah, like, you are just kind of, like, exchanging of goods. Like, either it's exchanging of emotions, exchanging mm -hmm. of doing something around the house or being yeah. romantic. Like there's yeah. all sorts of connections. Mm -hmm. uh, couples make all sorts of exchanges to try to keep the relationship equitable. We may make certain personal sacrifices for the sake of our relationship and expect the same or similar kinds of sacrifices from our partner. Mm -hmm. When partners feel there is a balance, that is the amount we give is equal to what we receive, the relationship feels good. However, when one partner feels he or she gives more than is received, the perceived imbalance becomes a concern for the shortened partner, and that becomes a reason for confrontation, kind of like a power trip in a way, like someone's got more power in the relationship than others. Absolutely, and I feel like this is something that happens in friendships, and we just don't talk about it as much, but yeah. the same shit happens in friendships, whether it's 
going out for coffee and who picks up the coffee tab or who goes over to whose house or who texts her who first or who does what first. All relationships are built on a bartering system and nothing is wrong with that. Like that is just the background of it. And I think it is knowing what you're willing to barter and what you're willing to be okay with is the most important thing. Yep, absolutely. And yeah, like, uh, because that's pretty much how it felt like with my marriage, like, Mm -hmm. and kind of why it failed. Like, I felt like I was the one giving, 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 and being taken advantage of. And the, somehow she felt like she had more power over me and used that to her ability because she knew I would do whatever I wanted for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she took advantage of that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's other things that I won't dive into deeply, but, you know, obviously the infidelity and all that stuff too, but that wasn't the issue. It was just like, the way this relationship was leading down this road. Well, and there was also a lack of respect, right? Yes. And I think that at the time, infidelity for you was upsetting because that wasn't something that you were, you would even discuss, but it was also the treatment of you. And I look back to my ex-husband, he didn't respect me. He didn't. Right. He, he probably loved me to some point that he was capable of loving me. And obviously we had good times together, much like you had good times with your ex-wife. There was happiness. You know, obviously you don't get married without there being some kind of happiness. Right, exactly. But there definitely was a, an unspoken tension that became worse and worse and worse. And I, uh, we were trying for children. I miscarried. It was very traumatic. I wanted to take time off of trying and that's when everything hit the fan, but things have been blowing up before that. Now I'm not sure if this was similar in your marriage, but there was controlling. He didn't want me going out places without him. Um, he would guilt me if I did certain things that he didn't like. Mm-hmm. Um, he would tell me how to behave he wanted to so when we were trying for a child i lived very close to my parents and i wanted to stay near my parents and he wanted me to move an hour away it was trying to socialize like i was isolate me right so and it always starts off slow and i feel where men are more likely to like women are more likely to talk about emotional control men do not but what happened to you at times could have been seen as emotional control yeah because like yeah because there were there times where you know like she would say she didn't care if I was going out to hang out with my buddies or whatever, but then would would start messaging me, getting upset that I wasn't home yet and like making me feel bad for not being home to hang out with her. But then when I was home, she would leave and go to her girlfriend's house and stay the entire weekend, which was the only time we had off to see each other. And she never seen anything wrong with that and like would get mad at me when I would complain about it. Yeah. So, and would just make me feel like a piece of shit for, you know, saying, well, he did this to me why like this isn't fair and then I got to the point where I just didn't want to go anywhere without her because I felt bad leaving her behind well or the pain or the or what you would have to pay was worse for guilt and that how that made you feel right and that's why we're looking at conflicts here right we're looking at two healthy people can come together and of course you're gonna have conflicts and arguments and, and stuff like that but there's a clear line of when needs aren't met And when people aren't respecting each other's boundaries or what's important to each other, that's when you start to have issues. And both men and women need to do it. I think a lot of times, and I'm going to speak this for women, go into relationships thinking the men should cater to every single need they have and that they should figure out when they're upset and that they can behave however they want and that's okay. And that's actually not a thing. Um, 
and I'm not trying to bash women. That is not what I'm trying to do no. with this, but I think they need to be clear. If I'm upset with something, I state how I feel. There's no, you know, backbone behind it. There's no hidden things. It's hard, of course, to say I'm upset about this, but I say it. And I don't yep. expect a man to fix everything for me or to read my mind or to know what I want. And I understand that they could not feel like doing something one day, but I expect the same respect back, right? So it comes down to two adults respecting each other and, and communicating in a way that works for those two people, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's a big thing too. A form of communication that works for you and your partner. Yeah, because that is probably... for all our non-monogamous friends out there. <laughs> right. But yeah, that is probably the biggest biggest thing is communication like that like if you guys cannot speak to each other freely and openly then you shouldn't be in a relationship well and if you can't even do that with your friends the way i've always looked at it and the way i look at it now especially since my divorce four years ago if i would not tolerate that behavior from a friend i'm not going to fucking tolerate it from a partner there's no right, fucking exactly. way because all a partner is is someone that i'm banging that's all that's all that's different for me between my friendships and maybe someone I'm financially connected to if we're living together or we have a common interest. Right. Or we're going out on dates and stuff like that and we're taking turns paying and stuff. Like, sure, there's a little bit of a difference there. But like if if they don't if they treat me in a way that I wouldn't accept from a friend, then there's no reason I should be in a relationship with them. Right, exactly. And that's that's exactly how I look at this now. Right. And but yeah, we can look at a couple, like, I'll give a quick list of some types of relationship conflicts, because, I mean, we pretty much covered them with some of mm -hmm. what we've been talking, but there are many different types that cause uh, these relationship issues, and the most common ones include kids, finances, personal intimacy, insecurity, household responsibilities, and lack of effective communication. And, yep, that's one we didn't bring up, but yeah, household responsibilities, that's another big one, like, especially if you are living in, because like, this is your nest, this is your home with that par partner. And if one person can't uh, pull their own weight around the house to help out, it gets exhausting and tiring for the other person. And it's just kind of like a shared balance. Like, you know, if you're in a shared living space, you know, both put the, uh, put the effort and uh, make it look nice or do things around the house together. Like kind of make it a team thing. But, you know, like that's just like one of the minor ones, though. Like obviously the biggest would be lack of communication, kids finances and personal intimacy issues are the big ones i think kids can be the most stressful thing you can do in a marriage yeah that in is a relationship like, that is like the testing of the boundaries of your relationship right there for sure because no one is going to agree with each other on exactly how some how they should raise a child there's always going to be conflict there and i have a friend right now that's um going through in, in fertile treatments fertility treatments single and it is very hard to pick a partner and a husband and a father, right? So like if you want to get married and that's a value that you have or you want to be in a relationship with someone, the, char the characteristics that I look for in a, in a co-parent and what I look for in someone to have a good time with, which was what is important to me in having a partner, are different. Yeah. Right? So I, I may not find the person that has both of those. Right. Yeah, because that's a quality that's very tough to find. Well, like, this is tough to matches. do. Those are two different roles. Yeah. Like a partner to me... So when I'm having to have a good time with, we have similar values and interests in and are on par with taking care of financial things that we need to. A parent is someone else that I'm going to raise another human being with, with values and, and thoughts of life and how I want them to conduct themselves. They're different. Yeah. Like what I'm going to expect from a fucking parent of my child 
is going to be very different than what I expect from just a partner. I don't care if my partner sleeps until two o'clock in the afternoon on a fucking Saturday afternoon. I don't give a shit. We can get together right. at night. I can go do my own thing. But that's the father of my child because I'm heterosexual. I'm going to be fucking pissed. Yeah. I'm going to get like, your ass out of bed and spend time with your kid, right? So, like, it, it's all dependent. Yep. I'll say that it's completely different uh, relationship paradigm shift right there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, like, we talked about the conflicts, but one thing I also wanted to bring up is why do people stay in some of these bad relationships? And I have been, ex- I have uh, actually a couple of the first ones are pretty much what nailed me and my relationship. Yeah. But uh, the, the first one would be low self-esteem. One of the reasons that someone may stay in a relationship that is no longer happy or healthy may be because they have low self-esteem. Someone who has low self-esteem may feel that if they speak out about their ha- unhappiness in a relationship, they'll be faced with rejection. Yep, I can relate to this one wholeheartedly. Like, I, I had, took me a long time to build my self-confidence and self-esteem back up after my marriage, like, it fizzled away. And I stuck with it because I was just kind of beaten down. Uh, the second one, though, is one that really hit with me as well, and that is the fear of loneliness. People who have a fear of being lonely are much more likely to stay in a relationship that isn't working or one that is actively making them unhappy. To them, being together and unhappy is much more preferable to being alone and unhappy. Yeah, once again, could totally relate with that. I still deal with loneliness a lot, but Mm -hmm. I've been working on that one a lot more. But it is something that's very tough to deal with. Uh, The third one is they believe their partner can, can change. Many people stay in unhealthy relationships because they believe that their partner's flaws will eventually sort themselves out. Yes, that can happen but very rarely, and it's almost not even worth the time and stress that it puts on you to stick with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they stay for the children. Children make a bad relationship even more complicated. Sometimes trying to stay together for the children isn't the best fit thing for them either, and it definitely isn't the best thing for either partner. A bad relationship between parents often affects the children just as much as it impacts, impacts the parents as well. Yeah, that one I agree with wholeheartedly. I don't have any kids, but yeah, that one, I've seen that one with personal experience from friends. Yep, absolutely. Uh, And then this one, uh, number six, uh, abuse has been normalized. Unfortunately, when people grow up in abusive households, they're often more inclined to believe that the abuse they go through is normal. This is a contributing factor into why a person will stay in a relationship that is actively harmful to them. They may may be unable to recognize what is or isn't abuse as the harmful parts of a relationship, jealousy, possessiveness, even violence, have become normalized to them over the years. And it can become normalized in a relationship. Yeah. You know, I can remember uh, when I met my my ex-husband, I had come out of another relationship that uh, didn't end well. My self-esteem was pretty pretty down. I met him. And he sweeped me off my feet. Like within the first year that we were dating, we went to Las Vegas three times, Mexico once, Montreal. Yeah. Like he took me on trips, bought me things. And I remember he had told me that his last girlfriend had been this fashion designer that worked in New York City and she had cheated on him. And, you know, he I my ex had cheated on me too. So I just kind of was like, Oh, okay, like we both had these similar issues. And I don't talk about this much, but uh, about five months into our dating, he was over at my house and my basement apartment, and we got into an argument at the time. 
and I was trying to console him and he shoved me and he shoved me so hard. I flew back onto my bed and he took off and oh, wow. I, 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 I didn't understand what had happened. He, when he ran outside, he ran like I was going to come after him and hurt him. Like he shoved me like I was going to attack him and he took off and, uh, he came back a couple hours later. I had gone out with my girlfriends and I hadn't told them the full story what had happened because I was embarrassed and I didn't want anyone to know. And I, he called my cell phone and was like, I'm back. And I was like, what are you doing here? Like, I thought you left. Like, I thought we broke up. Like, that's basically oh, wow. what I thought had happened, right? Right. And uh, he was like, no. And, and he would never bring it up. And the next day I said, you know, you can't act like that. He's like, well, my ex would, would try to come at me and knee me in the nuts when we would fight. So I thought that's what you were doing. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, that's fair. Oh, no wonder. And like, he would always normalize the behaviors. And then there'd be a high again, right? There would be, I love you so much, you know, and it was definitely a whirlwind. Like I was head to toes invested, invested in this relationship. And that's just one example. And then every couple of months or so, another fight would occur. And he would either call me a whore or a slut, scream at me. And then tell me he was sorry and that it was stuff from his ex. And of course I believed him because I had come out of a bad relationship. So I was like, okay, well that makes sense. And you justify and you normalize and you justify and you normalize mm -hmm. and you, and you think that if you love, cause there's always good times, you yeah. know? And I think that's what a lot of people forget about abuse. And that's what I didn't know either. And when I finally made the decision to leave, it is after my arm had been bruised and he had his hands around my throat and I made him leave that night. And, you know, I, I look back on that and he came back and there was, you know, I won't go into great detail, but it was a very painful getting him to leave the house permanently. And, um, you know, I, I even talking about it now, there's days where I catch myself thinking, oh, was it really that bad? Right. You know, and, and it is, and it is right. But you forget and you want to normalize because you remember the good times. And I, I get it now. I get why people like you and I, who seem normal, successful jobs, you know, a good life, whatever will end up in these situations because people that are abusers tend to be narcissists mm -hmm. and they can take advantage of people like that. So it's not only has abuse been normalized from a childhood, it slowly becomes normalized in the relationship to where you don't remember what's right or wrong anymore. Yep. The I can remember so long that, that you just think it's part of it. I was um, on a date about six months after my divorce and uh, I spilled coffee in the car and I got so upset. And the person I was with was like, I just, you know, are you okay? Like, are you, did the hot coffee burn you? And I started to cry because if I had spilled that hot coffee in my ex-husband's car, he would have screamed at me. Mm. You know, but I had been, and this guy's concern was just, are you okay? You know, it was such a new learning of behavior of like, no, that's a normal reaction. Right. Right. So it's, it's a really interesting thing that, that we talk about here and we're going to see in some films we're going to talk about where there is emotional abuse Oh and yeah. how it's been, you know, especially in one Midsommar and how it's been, how this person's been groomed. Yeah, because right? she's completely normalized in it. Exactly. So anyway, I just wanted to add that into the into the this part here. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Because yeah, that is uh, 
a little more in-depth detail, like something that I have not experienced, but something you have. Like I've yeah. I dealt with the more mental, I guess it would be more the mental, emotional abuse. Nothing Which like is physical. typically what men experience from women, even like, and women seem to think they're okay to do it because they're women and they're not. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So. And it's easy for them to do it because it does like, it doesn't feel like abuse. No. And women have been trained to do it with each other. So they think that's appropriate way to treat someone, but it's not. Yep. And for le- at least for men like me, it's hard for us to cope with that. It's, it is. And it's left a lot of insecurities with me that I have been still dealing with to this day. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, so that's uh, some of our research that we did. So we are going to jump into some of these movies that kind of relate to the horror relationships and some of these topics. Uh, the first one we're going to bring up is The Invitation uh, from 2015. Invitation was released on March 13th, 2015, and is a 25- or, and is an American horror film directed by Karen Kusama and written by Hil- Phil Hay and Matt Manfredi. The film stars Logan Marshall Green, Tammy Blanchard, Michelle Huizman, and Amayatsi Coronialdi, I believe is how you pronounce that. Yeah, I think that was close enough. I was impressed. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, Will and Eden were once a loving couple. After a tragedy took their son, Eden disappeared. Two years later, out of the blue, she returns with a new husband, and as a different person, eerily changed and eager to reunite with her ex and those she left behind. Over the course of a dinner party in the house that was once his, the haunted will is gripped by mounting evidence that Eden and her new friends have a mysterious and terrifying agenda. But can we trust Will's hold on reality, or will he be the unwitting catalyst of the doom he senses? Yep. So a great sum up of this movie. Yeah, this is like, because this plays out like this could just all be in his head for the almost the entire movie. Yep. And this shows for the relationship side, the whole kind of working as a friendship after a tragic incident, tragic incident happens in their relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's how some people can change dramatically and you just don't even know them anymore. Yeah. And, and I think it shows, and obviously we'll be having spoilers in this section. This is a cult movie. Yes. Um, it starts off like a Tupperware party. It reminds me of one of those stupid fucking party light candle parties that you go to. Did you ever <laughs> have to go to one of those? I got drugged to one a few times. Oh my God. There's a rock and Mary Kay in that shit. But it, it becomes more than that. And I feel like when we look at Will and Eden, you know, I think about they're trying to be friendly after a breakup. So he hasn't heard from her. And I'm very surprised because he hasn't heard from her that he goes to the house. Now I'm assuming he's probably going because he used to live there. So obviously she got the house in the divorce. Um, She's remarried. So their divorce has been finalized and they had a kid together. And I still find it crazy that he showed up, but those are the reasons I'm thinking of why it was his former home. Um, He's curious to how, what is going on with her and how she's coping with the death of their child. Um, And I think the uh, memories that it brings back when he goes back to the home, because the son's room is still the exact same. So I think he just kind of wanted this like trip of nostalgia to remember his son as well. And maybe some closure for him. But when he gets there, there is this sense of uneasiness and you are a little unsure if it's just him reflecting that there is like, is this just him looking for problems because there is some kind of religious talk that is going on in a video that they watch and the relationships between everybody becomes very 
evident. Yeah, because you see a lot of them a long time, right? Yeah, I'll say because you see a lot of them that are their best friends from when they were a couple, and like they both just hadn't seen them in forever. And then there are those like smattering of a couple new people that are, I think it was David's friends, the new husband. Yes, and like he's brought the two weirdos that are acting excellent actors, by the way. Oh, amazing! Um, Excellent, and obviously Will's brought his new girlfriend. And there is this, you know, I think about being friends after the end of a marriage. Now, the child has passed. Honestly, um, if my ex asked me to his house with him and his new wife, he is remarried. We've been um, separated. Well, we've been separated four years, divorced officially for three, but I don't really, he was, we were done the moment he left here and I asked him to leave. Um, I don't want to go to their house <laughs> ever. Right. To be honest with you, um, I don't hate him. I don't walk around and you know. Even in this podcast, I'm trying to speak of him respectfully. I'm not using his name. Um, only my close friends will know what I'm referring to and the stuff I've ta- I've spoken publicly about. But I I would never be like, let's go have a dinner party. I find that concept really weird. But I know you are you are more friendly with many of your exes as well as your ex wife. Yep. Yeah. I'll say my ex-wife and I, we actually, our relationship has completely changed. Uh, we aren't like best friends anymore, but we are still like, I would say good acquaintances. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we still talk on the phone every once in a great while just to check up on each other, see how we're doing. We're, you know, happy to hear that we're both doing better and we both realize we're happier separated. Mm-hmm. Like we just realized that where we were going was going to be a dead end. Mm-hmm. And so yet like, obviously it does not, uh, does not even translate to what happens in this film. But would you go to a party? So if if your ex was having a party, you would show up. Um, like something like this. I don't know. No. Like, okay. I'm not sure on that one. Like, like I just don't. I don't see that being. I, I feel that. I feel that'd be weird. Absolutely. Well, think about the girlfriend that Will brings. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, that's awkward position for her. But she's pretty friendly throughout the entire thing. She seems pretty comfortable with what's going on. She is almost embarrassed by his behavior at times um, and why he's being so weird. It's almost like she is trying to create normality because Eden is very welcoming to her. Eden's husband is very welcoming to her. Will and Eden, I never got an ounce of sexual chemistry between them at all. I did get a loss of, we're both grieving. Why do you seem completely fine with everything? And I'm still very grieving. This doesn't yeah. seem right. Yeah. Cause with him and Will and Eden, like you can't, I don't see the romance there, but you see definitely co-parenting and like yes. what they both gone through. Like you were saying, like you, you can see that there was that between them. Cause they both are, concerned for each other and also confused on how one's reacting compared to the other and just like the things they bring up about their past about how she just like seems to have forgotten about her son and is moving on and yeah or or at peace with it yeah or at peace with it yeah it's really come to the to this i'm at this whole spiritual level like they sound like people that would really annoy the shit out of me that i'm at this super spiritual level and i don't feel this pain anymore and you know, they lock the door when they come in. Why is the door locked? Well, lots of people lock the door. They live in LA. It's not, they live in a really rich community. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if people would lock the door. Um, 
the interactions when they play that game. Yeah. Uh, which is basically, um, have you ever only it's reversed of what you would want to do. And yeah, the she... one girl asked for cocaine and, and eating kisses one of the other friends very passionately. Um, yep. Right. And it's, it's like that at that scene, particularly, I felt like they were trying to get in. Here's your chance to do something you've always wanted to do, but you never had a chance to. Yeah, because of what we know is leaning to at the end of the day. Yep, it's like basically like, here's your last time to have fun. Right, so the relationships, this movie is very much about the relationships between the friends and Will and how Will's behaving and how some friends are like, dude, you need to move on from this. Dude, you're acting like an asshole. Um, his concern about the one woman that gets uncomfortable leaving and then we don't see again and we know why we don't see because she's the guy probably killed. Right. Um, so it's, it's just very interesting. And even when the killing kind of begins, because they go to poison them. And I thought the poisoning was going to happen with the food. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you thought that. Yeah, I thought it was going to be in the wine. Did you? Like the mm -hmm. original wine or the second wine? Like the wine where that she pours the wine at the end and that's when we find out that wine's been poisoned? I thought I was thinking the first one. Like, okay, the first wine. Okay. So by the time we get to that second batch of wine and they they have it and after that and that's just after that huge conflict about Troy. Yep. Right? About Troy, why isn't he here? He left a message saying he'd be here and then when Will checks his phone, he gets that message from Troy being like, Oh my gosh, I had to run out or or he they he does show up saying I had to go for work, I'm back now, blah blah blah. Yeah, it makes Will look like a complete asshole. Right. So it's using all the relationships of the friendships and the grief of the child and the uh, woman that's kind of, um, I think she's coming down from a drug addiction, trying to hit on Will. Like everyone's oh, yeah. just trying to do and feel what they, what they want to do in that moment. And when they do start the poisoning and the one character is killed and then someone else gets shot, I feel like that's when Eden has the reality of what is happening and has second thoughts. Yep, because you can tell she's not really wanting to do any of this after it actually after she sees it unfold. Well, she has that conversation with her husband in the bedroom, right? Where, yeah. Um, and and the scene with Will and her is very, and I believe Will shoots her. Uh, I think no, she shoots herself. Yeah, because she shoots uh, herself. That's yeah, because right. she shoots at Will. I think she ends up hitting him in like the arm or something yes. like that, and she feels horrible about it, and then she shoots herself in the stomach, which. Oof, that is not the way to make a quick, swift death. A stomach shot, a stomach wound is a long, drawn-out, painful death. Absolutely, right? And, and it's a, Oh, it was so just traumatic seeing that happen. Now, do we think she did that because she purposely wanted to feel the pain and wanted to feel that drag out? I think she did. Because of what she had done? Because really, she had led these people on all night, right? Yeah, and I think it's her way of punishing herself for just kind of getting past what happened with her son and is trying to move on and then getting all involved with this. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that this movie alone really does focus on uh, the horror of Tupperware parties. I'm just going to there. <laughs> um, but not just that, but it also focuses on this, this, this pressure to stay friends after the end of a relationship and kind of, or to go back and to grieve or to be nosy and find out what's going on in your ex-partner's life. Because once you've been 
intimate with someone for an extended period of time, you're always curious. Like how many people Facebook stalk their exes, right? Like, oh, yeah. or whatever, and see what they're up to. It, it's pretty normal that people do that, especially now with the social media being so accessible. I feel like that was uh, something that was used in here as well as talking about grief, you know, oh, and, and, and the roots that people go down, the power of cults. And overall, I, I definitely, first time I w- tried to watch this film, I couldn't get through it. Yep. I found it uh, a little slow. I realized now I just had to be in the right state of mind because when I watched it again, I had a lot more appreciation for it. Yeah, because this one is a lot about character building. Like, the horror of the film doesn't even start till, like, 20 minutes to the end. And it's just, it's just a lot of, like, just playing with your mind, asking, making you wonder if Will's crazy or if this is really happening, and it's building up these relationships, which is... Once again, why I love these types of films, because these building of relationships really pull you into these characters and make you want, feel for them and what they are going through. I couldn't agree with you more. I think that this movie, to me, really really shows a true version of divorce and, and mourning of death of a child and trying to be friendly within the same group of friends, like feeling that pressure to show up somewhere because all your same friends and having these flashbacks to what your previous life was, I feel like they did a very good job of capturing the emotions that come with that. Yes, they absolutely did. And like, here's props to Will's girlfriend for being such a good sport throughout the entire thing, man. Like, (laughs) if he doesn't wife that, I don't know, man. Like, not even like it's a real thing and who knows if they're alive after the cult, but um, fuck. Like, that's... that, That chick is true friendship and true, like development she, and, and yeah, stuff. she has got her back that, that is a ride or die right there well and i think it takes a lot to be a new partner and meet someone's ex-husband well in a or, sorry ex-wife well especially being a new partner meeting the ex and also being there for him as he's dealing with the death of the son Yes. As well. That's a lot to take on for someone new coming into this relationship. Well, and they could be together for a year. So maybe it's not as new as we think. Um, but still, like, and they're adults and stuff. And I probably would do that for somebody too. Um, if that was something that was needed, absolutely. But yeah, it is a lot. But yeah, yeah. great movie. Great movie. So I guess we should move on to our second relationship film. Oh, yes. Uh, so yeah, the second one. Everyone might have heard of this film, mm. but that is Midsommar from 2019. It was released in, on July 3rd and is a folk horror film written and directed by Ari Aster and starring Florence Pugh, Jack Rayner, William Jackson Harper, Wilhelm Blomgren, Laura Torchia, Archie Medeque, and Will Poulter. Psychology student Danny Arter is traumatized after her sister Terry kills herself and their parents by filling their home with carbon monoxide. The incident strains Danny's relationship with her emotionally distant boyfriend, cultural anthropology student Christian Hughes. She later learns that Christian and his friends Mark and Josh have been invited by their mutual Swedish friend Pele to attend a midsummer celebration at Pele's ancestral commune, the Harga, in Halsengland, Switzerland. The celebration occurs only once every 90 years and Josh, also an anthropology student, wants to write his thesis on it. Christian had hidden the trip from Danny, wanting to break up with her before leaving, but invites her along after she finds out about it. And then the events of Midsummer happen. Mm-hmm. And talk about the 
gaslighting the relationship. Oh man. Like, you know, Dave C did it. Did you listen to Dave C's review? Or well, I should yes. exploding heads. Like I don't Dave C's <laughs> review. Um, but Dave C made some very, very valid points about this relationship in his review. It's uh episode is it the most One, recent episode? One yep, I think one seventeen. 117. Um, if you're a Patreon, please check it out. If you're not a Patreon, what are you waiting for? Become a Patreon. Um, right. But did a very good job of talking about the abuse and gaslighting of this relationship. Yeah, because Chris, because the, they're both bad for this. Because Danny, like, this is one of those where Danny normalizes the abuse that Christian mm-hmm. has put about her emotionally and mentally. And she normalizes it and just sticks with him because it's just one of those, well, you know, it could be. Like, he's not hitting me, so it could be worse type relationships. Like, she's just sticking it out. And, like, but, yeah, the gaslighting and the constant just, like, toxicity between this deteriorating relationship is just so heartbreaking. Like, because I know you're not a, like, I know you think this movie is just, like, above average. Well, like, I have a lot of respect for the film. I yeah, really I was going to say. I, it's just not my favorite film, but I, I, I definitely think it's well above average. Like, it's a very well-made film. I just don't connect with it like other people do, but I respect it. Well, when I, when I say above average, I know, like, what I look at as above average is 7 out of 10. Oh, this, is, which, this movie is a 9.5 out of 10. It oh, just, I, I it's just not your... a movie that I connect with because I find the premise annoying. Okay. Um, the cult yeah, so yeah, premise. I know it's the, sto- the whole story is. Yeah, the whole story me. just annoys me when they go to Sweden and stuff. But that you know, that's my own personal thing. If I objectively look at this movie, and someone said to me it's my number two of the decade or number one, I could understand why. Like I would never criticize someone for that. I right. think it's a good film. If they told me that twenty four hours was I might question um but like this year, not at all and and we're not talking about that piece of it. what we're talking no. about is the relationship piece because no, that's what I was getting at was I was gonna ask you like because I know like the characters are what drive the story home mm-hmm. and the relationship that comes along with not only Danny and Christian but the friendship relationship between Josh and especially uh Matt will Poulter mm-hmm. constantly just getting involved between uh, Christian and uh, Danny's relationship and constantly just like getting on Christian's case. Why are you still with this chick and constantly berating him and like, like Will's or Matt, Matt is doing what probably like a good friend would do is like, you know, you're dragging this out. Just end it. Yeah. And Christian just either because obviously the bad timing of the parents passing away with their sister Mm -hmm. Like that's a mm-hmm. wrong, t- like a tough time for someone to like end a relationship, like, especially for a woman that is broken as her after that happened. So this mm-hmm. actually happened to me. I was going to break up with a dude, and his mom died of cancer. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I've been, I met him in May, and his mom was sick. I didn't realize how sick. He was going away to school in September, and uh, she took a turn, I guess, at the beginning of August. I went up there to see him. He lived about 45 minutes from me, and I watched her die with him. Yeah, that's Um, rough. It was the fucking hardest thing I've ever had to watch. Um, And I was planning on breaking up with him because he was going to school, and he was just a fun-time boyfriend. 
and uh, that relationship ended up being a lot more. And it and I stayed with him because his mom died. Because how do you end a relationship with someone? So I I do empathize with Christian a little bit here. I don't I don't empathize with his treatment of her. Right. Um. But I remember sitting there. Uh, when she was thriving in pain, going to the washroom and being like, I'm going to fucking see this woman die tonight. And I can't break up with her son. Like it was a week outside of Labor Day. And uh, so it was around this time. And uh, yeah. And he went to school and I, I continued the long distance relationship with him. And he had a lot of addiction issues and stuff that I uh, thought I could help him work through, which I could not. Right. Um, but yeah, it's hard. It's hard when you're in that situation, when you want to end something. I remember one other time I was driving over to break up with a boyfriend of two years and I got there and he was really, really sick. I'd take him to the hospital. He had appendicitis. Oh my gosh. And all his family lived in Nova Scotia and he was living here in Ontario. So I couldn't break up with him then either. <laughs> like, wow. Like, I had to call his parents and tell him that he went in for surgery. And I ended up staying with him for another month and a half after that. And then I just couldn't do it. I was just so unhappy with the relationship so i do empathize with christian a little bit because i've been in a situation twice where you know something has occurred that when i'm about to go end something and it's forced not forced me i still chose to but in both of those situations the appendix thing sucked and like that's horrible but when someone loses their mother like it is pretty fucking hard to walk away i can't imagine what he's watching her experience and then walking away yeah, because, like, right? how it's, would you, like, it's easy to say, oh, well, if the relationship ends, you should just end this no matter yes. what. It's like, yes. but no, when you are sitting there with the person you have been with for a while and they have lost someone well, they Well, I held my, my ex while he cried himself. To yeah. Sleep, like, multiple times. Yeah, so and, you pretty much were Christian in that yeah. situation. Like, I've been in that situation. Now, mind you, um, I think I cared. His name was Mark, and I don't mind saying his name because I don't think he listens or wherever he is now. Um, and I don't I, – I probably had more care for him than Christian had for Danny, but I get why he stayed. I don't think his treatment, though, of her was appropriate. Let me no. make that clear. Like, I get why he had a hard time breaking up with her, but I feel like this was a, was a relationship that they were in for four years together. Um that they had put quote unquote in the time and we really do equivalent time and relations at relationships as a success. Yeah. That's why people have anniversaries, right? Yep, exactly. And that's why people go oh, happy anniversary. You managed to make it 12 years together. Yay. Right. So, <laughs> right. Like, you know, and I, and I feel like this really capitalized on, we've been together for a long time. You know, I'm not really happy with her, but I don't know if I really want to end it because there's nothing really wrong with her. She has all this family stuff. I'm going to look like an asshole. And then, like, things implode, and then he's like, I'm fucking stuck. Much like what Dave C. said. I'm fucking stuck. And even if I wanted to end it, I couldn't. Yeah. Yeah, like, if it, if it was if there was any time in this point in the movie to end it, it would have probably been very hard to do but would have probably been around the time she found out they were going to sweden and then said yes let's we need to end this here that would have probably been when it should have ended because then he would have been out of her life because he would have been in sweden she could have you know obviously dealt with it and it would have been horrible and hard but while he was gone 
she could get over it because he wasn't there anymore. And in the director's cut, it shows them coming back from the party and they had that really awkward exchange. I felt like I was watching a real couple fight. Yeah. Like I felt like I was watching that. Okay, I'm going to go. No, no, don't go. I remember seeing myself be like that yeah. like being when I was gaslighted. Um, and I was like, holy fuck. Like this is totally like, – this dude is just waiting at the first opportunity to leave because truly if he loved her – and cared for her and wanted the relationship more than obviously he probably didn't want her to be hurt or die or anything like that. But he didn't want to be romantically connected with her anymore. He probably would have stayed. If they were just friends, that probably would have never got to that point. Right. Exactly. He probably would have sat down and she probably, you know, but obviously then she would have been upset that he was going to Sweden. Right. Well, and right. then if also, if he really cared about her, like she would have known about the trip to Sweden already. Of course. Instead of finding out about it at a party. Which and is a shitty way to find out about anything. Especially when it's like, oh, you're going on this trip for however long? Oh, uh, okay. Didn't know anything about it. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're not, and you're not doing your thesis on it? You're just going for the fun of it? Okay, now this really makes no sense. Well, and not, and definitely with the fact that she's already feeling insecure. She's lost all her family through a suicide. Yeah. Like, the interactions between Christian and Danny are really is really to me what this movie is built around in grief, right? It, it yeah. really shows. And even when they go to the festival and there's that drugs, she doesn't want to do it. She wants to get situated. I agree with Dave. He kind of, Christian's like, well, if you're sure you don't want to, but still kind of putting it like no one else is going to do it now. Right. And like they he, do it. Yeah. That subtle narcissistic way of gaslighting. Right. And, and then I think it was, uh, Matt was just getting all cocky. Like, Oh, now we're not going to do it and blah, blah, blah. Like mm -hmm. every subtle thing that Christian says is just like another just gut punch to Danny. Well, and, and to defend Christian to some point, I do yet again get that feeling obligated. And who knows? Oh, yeah. Maybe there's other connections there that they don't go into in Midsommar. Like maybe there's a financial obligation. Maybe there is she does stuff for him and that makes his life easier. Like, maybe she grocery shops for him every week. I don't know. Right. She seems to worship the ground this guy walks on. So I, my understanding is they're not having sex. Um, yeah. But From the maybe the there's other out. ways that she's meeting needs for him. Or maybe it's a status thing. Or maybe his parents really like her. And he doesn't want to deal with them being upset that they broke up. Like, there could be so many factors of why. That, again, doesn't justify the behavior. But it kind of... Going to Sweden is kind of where the, the epitome is. Like, throughout that entire time there, like, when she's tripping and takes off, he doesn't follow her to see how she is. Right. Um, her birthday, he basically forgets about, and then what's-his-face needs oh. to tell him about it. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I think it was Pele tells him about it, and then also Pele draws her a picture for her birthday, and, like, yeah. he's showing interest in her over Christian. Which is also becoming that kind of interest there right of even if that's more of a friendship they're still uh because i'm not sold on the romantic piece of that i think he was romantically into her towards the end but i think he fell for her as time went on yeah um, i because i think pele was just more or less like you know i'm seeing how christian is treating you i'm gonna show you that you deserve better in a way without like being overly forceful about it that's what i get the impression of right yeah yeah, because this, but yeah, like the everything about the way this film covers the relationships is like because you could even see it, and at the end when she they have Christian put in the bear suit, 
and is getting put in the like and he she gets to decide like if he's going to be the one to be in that bear suit and you kind of see like obviously she's drugged up but like and she's just an emotional wreck because she caught him like you know having that crazy sex scene with uh the redhead with all the other women around chanting for him and that just mm-hmm. compl- i think that was like the final straw for her that made her snap and yeah but i think at that point she obviously didn't know what was going to go on but she chose him because that was his her way of punishing him and you could see that look of like towards the end when she's in the flower dress and she's just smiling like a maniac <clears throat> you can see that it's almost like she is around her a circle of family that actually care about her well she's found the relationship support she was looking for because this is not just about the relationships of her like we focused on that but if we're expanding now that she's found that you talked about the give and take earlier yeah the 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 resources the bartering she's now bartering with these people she's found people that are grieving with her and bartering with those emotions that she so badly needed from him or from other friends and that she wasn't getting and really in western culture we don't allow someone to grieve most people are very uncomfortable with funerals they're very uncomfortable with death they're very uncomfortable with talking about things that are difficult mm-hmm. so going into this culture where everyone feels you know the the elder people making that choice in the latter end of their life to kill themselves a lot of people see that as dark and and creepy and probably one of the reasons why i didn't find this movie scary is because i did not right um i was like yeah this is what these people are choosing to do it's too bad it got botched and the one guy suffered right Um, exactly but i i don't think anything is wrong with people choosing to end their life because they feel like they've reached their pedicle and that's what they want to do i actually don't and many people have a problem with that but i don't really feel like it's my place to go and judge what another community is consenting to do right um and uh sorry go ahead i was gonna say and i do agree with the whole it's kind of like she found her emotional support system through these people. Absolutely, right? She found the connection that she didn't know that she was missing. She found the relationships. And this whole movie yeah. is based on relationships. It's based on how that cult functions as one, which is so opposite from Western society. Yeah. Western society is very individualistic, hence trying to – who can be the person to write the thesis the best, um, trying to over – shadow each other when it came to getting information between um christian and i can't remember the other guy the, uh, the other josh one, josh that was writing his thesis you know this whole relate this whole movie is based on those multiple relationships and the and the difference between western society viewing of grief and and feeling of emotions and the lifespan and the 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 sweden or European, or this cult-based society, pagan belief on how it should work. I'm like going through everything, but I guess pagan is the best thing to describe it. I think it's a very right. good case study on that. Yeah, it really is, because yeah, like uh, like because that is like part of what the whole thing with Christian is. Yeah, he just had he showed no emotion. Yeah, and that is what Danny needed, especially at that time in her life. And maybe and it's because this... he didn't love her enough, or didn't have the westernized like. Honestly, most people are not good at helping people grieve. Like, really aren't. Yeah, I was just going to say. It's a hard skill set to have. Yeah, because I was going to say, like, uh, when I lost my brother, my wife at the time, not very supportive. But just because she really didn't know how to grieve or how to support someone that's grieving like that, which, you know, I don't hold that against her because I understand. It's a tough thing. That would be you got to have the right type of emotions to be there for someone like that. Well, and also you have to be comfortable with death. Like, and death is not easy. 
with my ex-husband no. or my ex when he was um grieving i never assumed that i got what he felt like his mom right. was dead and not coming back and there, there was no way i could ever understand that i just never stopped him from talking about her i never taught stopped him from telling me stories i never shied away from the topic i never stopped him from reliving that night I let him talk about whatever he needed to talk about. I let him cry when he needed to cry. I never told him to stop. Right. I never told him it will be okay. Cause you know what? That's a fucking lie. It wasn't going to be okay. No, but he was going to eventually adapt. And I've been told by many people and I'm not trying to, you know, blow my own ego here, but I'm very good at confronting stuff like that. I've had coworkers that have lost parents and I always take that same approach. I never shy away from asking them how they're doing, whether it's two months, three months, six months, a year, two years. You never stop because grief is an ongoing process. But generally yes. speaking in Western society, we have not been taught or encouraged to talk about that. We assume that people die and three days later you have the funeral and then everyone just goes back to being fucking normal. And that's not how shit works. <laughs> no, no, and it that is was, not. And that's what was really reflected in this, in this movie. So I think as, as to respect to your ex-wife, I don't even know if she would have had the skill set because we've never been forced to have the skill set. So right, unless exactly. She's... That's why I say I didn't hold it against right? her. Right. So it's it's interesting. I think this movie, you know, more than I'm talking about it, the actual more appreciation I have for it because I never looked at it from that lens. Yeah, I was like, because yeah, like this is just one of those films that just has multiple layers to it. Like, it does. and it's and yeah, like I say, it's not a scary horror film, but it's just one of those just like just dreadful relationship. Like, it's just, it's a relationship film with horror elements. Absolutely. Which seems to be a lot of these films, like, have that element to them. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Uh, but, yeah, we can move on to the next film, which is uh, Swallow from 2020. It was released on January 15th and is a psychological thriller film written and directed by Carlo Marabella Davis in his directorial debut and starring Haley Bennett, Austin Stowell, Elizabeth Marvel, David Rash, and Dennis O'Hare. Uh, the synopsis is, a hunter, or hunter, a young woman from a lower-class family in upstate New York, has recently married Richie, a man from a wealthy family who is set to take over as CEO of his father's Manhattan Corporation. This affords Hunter, once an aspiring illustrator, the ability to stay at home in the couple's lavish upstate home on the Hudson River. Despite this, Hunter finds herself increasingly emotionally stifled and isolated in both her marriage and domestic life, and finds Richie distant and inconsiderate towards her. One day, while home alone, Hunter develops the impulse to eat a marble and musters the courage to do so. She finds it exhilarating and begins to consume other inedible objects around the house, including thumbtacks, metal figurines, and batteries. Each item she swallows, once digested, she meticulously cleans and arranges on her vanity. All right, so this one I know you probably remember way more than I do. Yeah, I think this movie here, um, there's a lot of thought of whether it's a horror or not, and I, and I think that's fair. Yeah. I found it very much a horror movie because I think it very much reflected, um, you know, the experience of someone who is marrying into a wealthy family. My ex's family was quite wealthy. Um, and there was definitely expectations. Before I would go over to their home, my instruct my husband would tell me how I should dress. Um, that would be acceptable. Also, uh, they're South Asian. So there were certain things that in that culture that uh, women aren't supposed to show. 
Um, I would wear, I would not wear shorts over to their home. Um, I would only wear pants or capris were the only thing that was acceptable. Uh, I wouldn't be wearing a tank top or anything like that. I would be wearing, um, clothes that, you know, covered my body to a certain extent. Not, I didn't have to wear a hijab. They were Sikh. So I did have suits and stuff and I would wear, um, those occasionally and of course when i would go into the head into the gudwara i would cover my head out of respect because that's what happens in that place of worship so i really represented with this uh hunter coming from you know several times it stated how good her life is now because she's with richie and i feel like richie selected her simply because he saw someone who was pretty that he could control that he was bringing up from poverty into a life of wealth that would probably do whatever he wanted yep. and would allow her to um keeps an immaculate home but is bored and and is lonely um i was pretty sure richie was having an affair as well yeah i (laughs) I think there was an affair going on absolutely with somebody um and that yet again is neither here nor there and i think her decision to eat these objects yes pregnant women do crave this this is something that does come up with pregnancy too but it was also it was one thing that she could empower and do herself much like eating disorders and other things it's something that if someone has a lack of power or is being abused they choose to consume objects and i think they just did a really good job of showing her progress and becoming ill and then finding out and eventually her gaining the strength to leave that situation and restart her life. Um, and even at the party they throw where she is pregnant, um, you know, she finds out that her husband has talked about her being in the hospital and she's super embarrassed because they're trying to throw this lavish party. She's oh, dressed a right. certain way. You know, it was very much a, a movie about here's your golden opportunity as a woman. You're being taken care of by this rich family. What do you, you have this beautiful house on the Hudson. All you have to do is, you know, basically worship your husband and be fine with being the eye candy that goes to the parties and makes idle conversation produces the babies and makes a good life. You know, you present all that while he becomes a successful businessman and you stand behind him or beside him and allow him to do whatever he wants on the side. Now, some women are fine with that and I would never criticize a woman's choice for that. Obviously Hunter was not. Right. And there was some big conflict that would go on throughout this relationship. So even though this is definitely not a movie that's based, I would say, in strong horror, it does talk about, um, you know, self-harm as a way of control. And I think it's presented really well. Yeah, because this is definitely, like, you said it perfectly. It's her way of taking control of the situation and making it so she has some control of an aspect of her life. Well, she even controls the man that raped her fa- her mother. Yeah. Right? She even goes and confront confronts him. And that's where a lot of the issues came from of being an unwanted pregnancy and her mom not wanting her and, and all these issues that resulted from that rape and, and taking him on in his house during his kid's birthday. Yeah, that like, was... That takes some serious lady balls. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> like, you know, so I think we look at that, and that's who she became at the end of that through that relationship. So I don't feel like we need to expose this too much because I feel like the relationship is pretty clear cut. Yeah. But that's when I look at this movie, I feel like that's what they were capitalizing on and her internal strength as it continues to grow. Yeah, because I remember, like, some of that film, but, I like, I remember, like, I know you have a better memory with these movies, and... This one, I knew you were picking up on the underlying themes that I was not getting. Well, the next one's going to be your baby. Oh, boy. Yes, it is. So, yeah, we will jump right into that one. And that is After Midnight from 2020. 
released on February 14th on Valentine's Day. How convenient mm-hmm. with how Very this story so. plays out. Very much so. Uh, After Midnight was formally titled Something Else. Yeah, that was the title. Something Else. <laughs> and is a American romantic monster movie. That is probably the best description for this film. Because this is a romance movie with a monster. Uh, it is directed by Jeremy Gardner and Christian Stella and starring Jeremy Gardner and Bria Grant. Jeremy Gardner also directed The Battery, which, as people know, I freaking loved that movie. And I know you really enjoyed it as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And once again, built on strong relationships. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, so the synopsis for this film is for small town bar owner Hank. His 10-year relationship with Abby has been storybook quality. Abby, however, wants more. As a result, she leaves him, leaving a cryptic note behind and no further communication. Hank is crushed, and even worse, Abby's departure seemingly triggers the arrival of an unseen monster that claws at Hank's front door at night. As the nocturnal threat intensifies, Hank must figure out how to not only save his relationship, but also himself. Yeah, this movie... Fuck. I rewatched it again yesterday, and it still had the exact same impact on me. Like, I I lived this life. This is, like, my marriage in, in the lens. Like, uh, I would basically pretty much was uh, the wife. In, uh, I was Abby in this situation because my ex did not want to go do anything. And, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I, we stayed in, like, stale stuff and just kind of was just going, growing old, staying still and not really doing much mm-hmm. where I wanted to go do things. And yep. So yeah, this is the dialogue between like, well, you see the emotional scars that are left behind on Hank after Abby just up and leaves him. Like, and he call you see him calling her like every single day. He's taking care of her cat that he got her as like a gift. Um, and then this monster will show up. Like he's just kind of like going day by day. Like, mm-hmm. like looks disheveled, drinking all the time. Just doesn't care. So obviously depression is wrecking him. And the underlying theme for this is obviously loneliness and depression. That is what this monster is. That's clawing at the door every single night. Mm-hmm. I also think it's lack of communication. Yeah. Oh, there is that big time. Because she actually did tell him why she was going where she was going. Remember? Yeah. Yep, that that is like a Ryan. key element of this. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, they have that very just incredible scene between the two of them when she does come back. And it's like a 10-minute scene of just them talking and explaining. She explains, because com- he confronts her and just says, where did you go? Why? How come for so long? And she said, I told you. I was going to my high school reunion. I wanted you to come along. But you even said... I don't want to get dressed up to drive five hours and meet up with some, uh, look up at other people's noses and then leave again. She's like, I, you, you got me stuck here. She's like, I wanted to go see the world. I wanted to go do this. But then all of a sudden I became stuck in this relationship where I'm an owner of a bar in a country home where I'm just completely bored and not able to go out and do anything. There's nothing here. And so, yeah, it was just that lack of, communication between the two of them it was the lack of him wanting to do anything like well you know what's great about that scene scott too is it changes how you perceive him you perceive him as a victim and through that relationship like dude you're a fucking piece of shit you didn't even listen to her and she told you where she was going you're acting like the victim 
because you were too lazy to listen and figure out what she wanted. Yeah, well, on this one, I would say they're both to blame because, I mean, she left. Uh, I disagree. Like, when I watched that conversation, she told him where she was going. I'm going to my high school reunion. I want you to come. No, I don't want to come. Those people suck. She goes to the high school reunion, shuts off her phone because maybe she needs some space because he acted like such a dick, and then he acts like a victim. Like she yeah, left. Saying, so he's telling people she, he didn't know why she left. He knew so damn well. He just didn't bother to remember. Right. Well, that part for sure. Like the part I'm just saying for her was the disappearance for four weeks. Like I, I guess, yeah. The high school reunion was one time. That's true. Good point. And her just disappearing for four weeks entirely, just leaving him like, it's like, should have at least said something, but you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that, once again, that goes with the lack of communication that I think yeah. both of them are dealing with. Like she's obviously communicating more and he's not listening. Yep. And like, but yeah, it's just, uh, and then there's certain things she just wasn't telling him because he wasn't listening. Exactly. Yeah. I get what you're saying now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. And, but you see that they, you know, start trying to work on things because uh, she comes back and they start talking and they have these conversations and miraculously that monster doesn't show back up while she is around. Mm-hmm. And so, yep, obviously that's just like the underlying theme of this. And they end up having that dinner party with their old friends once again a dinner party with old friends that the couple is back together let's have yep. everybody back together in the yep. house yep and you can see that she's still like feeling kind of weird that she's back because she's like it feels like the same old same old mm-hmm. and then he ends up doing that song with karaoke uh god what was the name of it you say yeah stay by Lisa mean, Loeb. yeah like and the words to that like song because they let him sing the entire song like that because even you and i were joking when we were yeah. watching this together originally like oh god are they gonna do the whole song oh man it was forever <laughs> but like the words like i see why they did it because every single lyric in that he said i only hear what i want to and stuff like that like mm-hmm. it related perfectly to what they were going through mm-hmm. and like how he was treating her and he and it was finally coming to terms that he realized he was being a piece of shit mm-hmm. and he was straight up says fuck it Let's do this. Let's uh, sell this damn house. Let's get. Let's move out of here. We can go live in Mongolia if we want. Like wherever yeah. you want, I'm w- I'm going with you. Like, so I think it was just like he came coming to terms with realizing that, you know, he was being just an uncaring boyfriend because they weren't married. Well, he like, also proposed to her. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And, but yeah, that is pretty much like this movie in a nutshell is just kind of watching the strenuous relationship like unfold and then kind of come back together. Cause yeah, like something like this could bring someone together if they are willing to change. Well, and I think also what reflects is that goal of marriage and how all the friends are joking and her brother's joking of, Oh, when are you going to get married and make it official? What's taking you so long, you know, and it's that goal too, that, that belief, that goal of marriage being the ultimate goal for this couple. And there's a great jump scare that happens. It's not yet again, this, this also flirts in, you know, it calls it romantic monster movie. And I, I think it has a hard time calling itself horror, but it does that, that does have a creature and i think it does reflect some really great relationships and tying it into that own battle that you're feeling with your own monsters and the old things that come up like i think you highlighted it really well and i think this and swallow are two films that really are fringe horror very 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 yeah. very, very fringe 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 but i i can understand for some people why they would call it horror and other people would not yep and this one i relate to it 
so freaking well because like i say this was pretty much like my marriage my marriage was going stale and like then having to deal with the loneliness of separation yeah and, yep but i will say that jump scare once again dear god i knew it was coming and it still made me fucking still shit my pants <laughs> did you get new pants on afterwards no nah, i just still sinking in those stinky pants i just let it dry up and kind of become armor that's really <laughs> oh my god that's so gross oh man all right so i'm oh i was gonna do the last one i i took out one um i don't feel like it's valuable i feel like this one here is a much more valid one all right do you want me to do it sorry you've uh, yeah. been doing all of them to this point i don't know why i said i would do it <laughs> yeah do you, you keep going scott you're doing a good job uh, so our next film that we will be discussing is vivarium which was released on june 12 2020 Vivarium is a science fiction psychological horror film directed by Lorcan Finnegan from a story by Finnegan and Garrett Shanley. The film stars Imogen Poops and Jesse Eisenberg. I almost screwed up her name pretty bad there. <laughs> yeah, well, you caught it. You got it. Uh, but the synopsis is, hoping to find the perfect place to live, a couple travel to a suburban neighborhood in which all the houses look identical. But when they try to leave the labyrinth-like development, each road mysteriously takes them back to where they started. They stay the night at the house and wake up the next day where a package has mysteriously appeared. Inside that package is a newborn baby with a note that says something along the lines of, raise him and you will be free. And wow, this is one of those also kind of fringe horror films. This, one's, this one more yeah. flirts with sci-fi. Yeah, and it's, and it's definitely more horror in it. Um, yeah more clear horror but this this really does play on the suburban dream and it really looks at people in their 30s and 40s and who haven't chosen to go down this route i talked about this on fresh cuts yeah but i think the relationship between the two main characters um the husband and the wife or the boyfriend and girlfriend um are really reflected and and the cookie cutter houses thing like i live near so many of those cookie cutter houses <laughs> right and it, they really do all look the same and the people come out of them look the same and they all have kids and and they're living to basically pay bills and take care of their kids and you know it, it even shows on how they have to feed this kid or it cries all the time um screams and they're trying to teach it things it watches nonsense on television for hours at end and doesn't listen to them like it, it really did speak about parenting <laughs> like yeah. and like a complete nightmarish version of parenting right like this um, is like uh the millennials uh view of parenting almost <laughs> it really was or this idea that you know your whole purpose in life is to reproduce have this um, cookie cutter house he goes out and digs a hole to nowhere which kind of talks about work she takes care of the home with bland food in the same routine and they even begin to have sex the same right like they yep. still have sex but they have this like routine sex thing that they get into and this routine life and eventually the baby grows up into an adult who dispatches them yeah. who goes to school or goes away somewhere they really don't know where he goes he's gone for hours at a time and comes back and dispatches them and that's what they mean by free and then this newborn baby goes and replaces the real estate agent and brings the next couple in to do the same thing and it's a belief of whether this is science fiction or a play on society but when i really look at this it talks about the expectation for people and how we're really beginning to buck against the system and how I know many of people that have gone into relationships, had kids, and feel like they're fucking living this. Yeah, exactly. They're not happy. Like, they're like, this is, 
because what is happiness at that point? Right. You are, you know, you are suffering, you are sacrificing and suffering to make sure your kid is happy and taken care of. Right. And it's always the appearance, right. And making sure that things are always fit a certain way um, that the child is never upset and, and, and everything is kind of made to work. I just thought it was very, a very good way of presenting that pressure that exists. And some people will be like, no, I love my fact that I have my wife and my kids and we have a great time together. And that's awesome. There are definitely people out there that are very happy with choosing that pathway and they're content with how they live their life. And they're not overly structured to the point where it's detrimental to them. I think this is an example of being overly structured and stifled. Yeah. I'll say the stifling, the monotony of everyday life over and over again like you see they wake up they eat the bland food they the Mm -hmm. boyfriend goes out because he needs a purpose so he goes out and starts digging that hole and he just he which is represented to work because all you do is dig a hole and then you die yeah i'll say he's literally digging until he dies which is working until he dies to like just get himself out of the house and just doing something and like yeah it just shows the breakdown of stresses that having a child can put on certain couples. Yep. yep. And because you've seen them, they were a great couple together. They, you know, everything was good. And then when they were forced to raise this child, like you've seen the cracks happening in their relationship and them splitting. Well, it out. And they tried to run away from that. And then they kind of got locked in and you could argue that society's way of taking people that are like, no, we're choosing not to have children. We don't want to be married. We don't want to buy a house and being like too bad. You're buying a house and here's the fucking baby. Right. You exactly. Expectations of what you should be doing in society. And here you go. And yet again, that is not to say that those are bad expectations. There's nothing wrong with that being your goal is to have a nice home and to have a baby and to have a good life and to have all those things. It's just when people feel like that is the only path is what this movie is capitalizing on. Yeah, you said it best when you said they feel stifled. Like, because that's what, like, people like that are suffering, like, that don't want this feel stifled because of that. Yes. They want people, they want you to be like this and you don't want to. Exactly. And that's, and the, and the interactions between the two, you see the, the relationship really go downhill. There's one point where Jesse Eisenberg tries to, I don't want to say, kill the kid because they have this moment where they're dancing outside and they're able to get the car battery oh, going yeah. and they play music and they dance outside and the kid comes outside and, and something happens and it ruins it and he locks the kid in the car was that another time when he's screaming and he lost oh yeah him? that was uh one morning he woke up and the kid was screaming because of like he didn't get the right breakfast or whatever it was and so he picked him up and threw him in the car and then just closed the door and just said we're you know let him scream it out well and- basically let him die he yeah, didn't want to scream it out. He wanted him to die. Right. Um, he, he wanted him to stop eating and all that. He wanted him to not ex- exist anymore, which I can yeah. understand. I wouldn't want that either. And she buckled to the maternal feelings. Like when she even goes and picks him up and he's crying and she lays with him until he falls asleep. Like I, I think definitely how female are raised, you're raised to have this maternal, no matter what, you take care of the children. And it's something that's expected to you. And you're also, you know, if we talk about socialization, women are socialized to be more in touch with their feelings and, and for the purpose of child raising, for the purpose of being able to be that emotional support in a heterosexual relationship for a man. Um, and that's what this movie really capitalized on there too, really, really well, is that the father's trying to be the disciplinarian. No, you need to let this be. I'm be able to be objective. And she is unable to be in that situation. Yep. And... I do want to bring up when you're talking about them dancing in the headlights, 
like you could see that was like the brief moment of happiness like they were rekindling that love that they had after all this stress Mm -hmm. and then reality also known as the child shows up and come brings that all crashing back down yeah absolutely like a strong like it's like a small scene but that is such a strong moment in that movie where it's just like you see all these pressures and they forget about them and just kind of feel like they're young it's kind of like when parents are able to give their kids to a babysitter and they're able to go out for a night and have fun and just kind of cut mm-hmm. loose like they used to. And then they have to, but they have to remember they have to come home to a child. And I think Scott and I should preface this with neither one of us have children. Right. So I think that, you know, I, and I, just where we're going, I don't want people listening to this and us and thinking that we're like, kids are bad. Like definitely, I know I don't have that belief. I nope, really I like children. Um, I really like my friend's kids. I wanted kids myself. It just didn't happen. Um, right. for me unfortunately so you know I and that may be something I regret one day who knows right so but I do think that there is some some points to be made here about feeling that obligation to have children and to have the house and to have that stuff if you don't want to that's the key thing we're talking about here we're not talking about people that wanted that and have that and are happy with that and that's awesome but there are sometimes people who cave to society pressures and do things that they don't actually want to do yeah exactly yeah the pressures of society are kind of what are forcing this relationship to go in a direction they don't want it to go. So where do we see, like, the relationship horror that we talked about, most of these were 2020 movies, with our oldest one, I think, being 2015. Yeah. Right? So, you know, I think relationship horror is really beginning to take a a stage in it. Like, even if we look at the battery and the friendship relationship horror that's in that, you know, there's some huge relationships there that are coming to the forefront as well. They're not romantic, which is why we didn't use it. But I think horror movies are really beginning to pull in that societal expectations or the power of relationships or the reason why we make choices, like in Ruin Me. And she's chose, she's forced to choose between two different relationships. Right. You know, we're really beginning to see that more and more integrated into horror. horror. So it'll be really interesting to see where this continues to go. Yeah, I'll say because... You know, a lot of films come from personal experiences. Ari Aster's uh, Midsommar was made because he went through a breakup and it was toxic like this. And that was his way of releasing it was by making this film. And there's just many reasons why these type of films will show up, but it's usually because of personal experiences or personal growth. And hell with like some of the experiences I've had I could probably write a book or something not nearly as good as this stuff but I probably have like stories and stuff I could tell that would just you know be good for a movie absolutely I agree 100% and I think there's the more that people have personal experiences uh, especially our younger generation that are becoming filmmakers we're gonna see a lot more of these types of more interpersonal connections with character a lot more character development a lot more borderline horror films that are just kind of giving a sending a message like subtly absolutely absolutely um well if there's anything else that you want to add if not i think when you talk about the future that ties really good into our out of the dark remake oh that it does (laughs) So moving from relationship horror and uh, all the stories that we've shared on that. So hopefully you're like, I don't know, in a good relationship. If not, 
learn from these movies and get into a better one. <laughs> and, and avoid dating sites. And avoid dating sites because Scott is tired of people fucking ghosting him and being assholes. Yes, I'm um, sick of their shit. But, you know, I feel like things are going to pick up for Scott. I feel like um, – and it's easier for women, honestly, like <sighs> – yeah. Or for me anyway. Like and I'm not not because of I'm just very social and I'm very um forward. So if I do like somebody or whatever, I tend to just tell them. <laughs> right. Um, Where a and, lot of guys deal with like at least guys that I know deal with does she really like me? I can't tell. I, and that I, could I, be insecurities as well. Like there's people that I've had crushes on even recently and I've told them. Right. Um and they do that information whenever they choose to, right? Um, and if something leads to it, something leads to it. But in majority of the relationships that I've been in, um, I am usually the one to pursue in a sense. Um, usually if they pursue me and I'm into them, I tell them I'm into you. So I don't know. Be more direct, everyone. Then we don't have to deal with all these games. Right, because it definitely hurts everybody's heads, men's and women's. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, just be open and honest. You're right. And just, you know, be nice to Scotty. <laughs> because yeah, Heather nice. don't want to smack a bitch so <laughs> you know and Scott's a nice one so let's all just leave that out there uh, um, you, you don't want to see the other term for pound and powell as she's pounding yeah. faces yeah Heather's had to had to pull herself back a couple of times from <clears throat> saying yeah. things she shouldn't say so <laughs> anyway <laughs> um, out of the dark remake so um, much like everybody loves remakes they're their favorite uh everyone thinks they're awesome and is so excited in the horror community every time a classic's being remade scott has three on here that he that he thought we could talk about yes because these ones have been getting a lot of buzz lately and you know i see some people like with our mindset and then some that are not with our mindset but the movies that we were talking about the first one I'll bring up is The Thing is being remade once again by Bloomhouse. This, if it's technically a remake and not a prequel like the 2011 film, this will technically be the third remake then because there's The Thing from Another World from the 50s, 82's John Carpenter, and then Blumhouse's remake that they're in the talks of. Not much has been spoken about as far as I know. I think John Carpenter is like having a say in how this film is going to be. So at least he's got his hands in it, which is cool. But does he? Does he need to? He doesn't need to. Like, but that I think will make people that are fans of the John Carpenter that are upset about this happier. But but why are people upset? Like that is the question right here. Goddamn movie. <laughs> Who cares? You know, here's the thing about here's the thing about remakes. Okay, first of all, John Carpenter didn't create the thing. Okay, right. the thing is based off a novel, so it's been remade already, right? Exactly. Three times. Right. This will be we the third this. time plus the book. Right. So I, I, I understand how people can be very attached to a film. But I watched, and this is probably in no great comparison, there's a Scream series that MTV came out with. Yep. It has nothing to do with the original Scream. Nothing. Yep. Just Characters aren't the own. same. The, and even the ghost face mask isn't the same. They just basically slapped the screen label on it and did a similar um, storyboard. Yeah. Did you think I was all like, well, why didn't they get – well, no, I think Wes Craven was involved in that, so I can't say anything. But why didn't they have Nev Campbell, and why didn't they have this thing? And even if Wes Craven hadn't been involved in season one, 
because I don't know if he was involved in the other ones because I think he may have passed away before he could be. Right. I almost fucking cared. I would have just either watched it or not watched it, watched a couple episodes and maybe liked it or not. I think we need to get over the fact that John Carpenter, believe it or not, doesn't have to have an input on a remake of The Thing. They could right. just remake The Thing without his fucking blessing. Like, all they need is the copyright to pay him. Yeah, I think I like. I understand people being upset or not upset, but like people like you know being so negative about this just for the fact that you know in the horror community this is perceived as a masterpiece. Yes, I get that. The makeup effects, top notch, probably the best makeup effects ever created by person. Like, and that was in '82. And yep, that'll probably be CGI. But you know what? Let Blumhouse do this. Like, they may surprise you, and if it's not that good. What have you lost? You still have Guess the what? 82. you can still watch yeah. the other one. That's where exactly where I was going. You, you still have the 82 version that you could always go back and watch. Like the new one comes out. This is just for a newer generation cuz like it or not 82 is almost 40 years ago now. And that it's, is it's a, a long movie. Yeah, and like not only was it 40 years ago, but like it or not, people in the new age generation, the 20-year-olds that are out now probably aren't going to go back and watch something from the 80s like right away they're gonna want to watch the new stuff that's coming to theaters that like what blumhouse does they focus on this younger generation and this is going to introduce them to the thing and it may introduce them to the 82 version which could introduce them to the 50s version and you might have created new fans but like yeah i don't see the issue here like this should just and it's like I'm gonna bring up the other remakes because like I'm oh, I'm not done on the thing yet. I'm just looking up something. Oh, okay. When was the original? So the thing from another world was the original movie, right? Yep. Okay, so for all those people that like the thing in nineteen eighty two, right? Yep. So I guess they all watched the thing from another world. So right. they so if you like the one in nineteen eighty two, I guess all the people that like the one in nineteen fifty one can't like the one in nineteen eighty two in that logic. Right. How dare John Carpenter remake a movie from 1951 right exactly. that was probably ahead of his time at the time right exactly like that's the same logic yes like it, it's the exact same logic and it's... you know what's even funnier <laughs> that was only a 31 year difference between so, it's got an 89 percent rating on rotten tomatoes the original the thing from another world it's an hour and 27 minutes long it has a 7.1 rating on imdb it was released on April 6, 1951. It's filmed in black and white. Um, it used all practical effects because we all know there was no uh, CGI. Yep. So the thing 1982 is a remake. So for every person who is like, thinks that this was the end all, and I'm not saying it's not a good movie. Don't get me wrong. Okay. I'm not saying the thing is a bad movie. I've never seen a thing, um, the thing from another world. Never seen neither, it. Neither have I actually. Never seen it. So, but here's the thing I don't have a beef with it being remade no because if it was already remade once and that person would have had the original concept of it let's see who the director was christian nebai so should christian nebai should we pull him up from the grave so he can have a say on the current thing as well so we make sure everybody has their input maybe we can sobify him and <laughs> right. see what he has to say and i know i'm being a little bit facetious and i apologize for my passion but like i just i just find this argument fucking ridiculous like <laughs> If they want to remake it and make it a re-adaptation, you know, it doesn't need anyone's blessing. You don't have to go watch it. The reality was the first, the, no, the second remake was made in 1982. 
people from 2020 may not appreciate it. Yeah. Let them remake it. If it gets new people liking horror, awesome. Yes, I would like to see other concepts be made. But really, how does this really ruin anybody's life or day? Right, exactly. It's like it doesn't nothing. And one thing that remakes do, remakes bring in the money. Right. Because of a recognizable brand name. And that money goes towards making other horror films for Bloomhouse, which lets them be creative and create original content. And then they'll come out with another remake to break in all the cash again so they can do more of these independent, unknown films. Like, yep. that's how this goes every Or they time. make a shitload of money, and guess what? That's called capitalism. Welcome to, <laughs> Welcome to America. Right? <laughs> like, oh, my God. I shouldn't get so worked up, and I'm sorry, Scott. It just – this argument frustrates me beyond no beliefs. Oh, like, it's, it's eye-rolling. <laughs> every single time I see the comments like this, I just roll my eyes because it's like, I don't see how this really affects you in your life. And, and especially with the thing, since it's already a remake. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's just a – Honestly, like it, we could we could even go as far as calling this this is another readaptation of the book. Yeah, absolutely, like, right? Like for all we know, they could be remaking the thing from another world, and they could yep. be using that style of monster. Like, yeah, there could like be lots of things they could be using. Right, exactly, and and I'll say I'll bring up the other ones because I don't think we'll have nearly as much to say just because the thing is like obviously the one that everyone focuses on, but. They're also talking about the Exorcist remake and possibly a Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake slash sequel slash prequel slash that's a that's a that's a franchise that they keep bringing up from the dead. Yeah, um, and putting movies in different spots and really different orders. Those collectors. I don't even understand how the order works. I'm so yeah. confused. I think it's Leatherface, then the original Texas Chainsaw okay. Massacre, then And the remake with Jessica Beale. Yeah, then we put the remake in there. And okay. then I think Texas Chainsaw 3D. Then I think Texas Chainsaw Part 2. Then Part 3. Then Next Generation. Yeah, oh, like then, no, actually, then there was also the prequel to the remake. So that would be before the original, but after Leatherface. <laughs> it's so confusing. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I and yet again, I don't have a problem with remakes. You can remake Chainsaw Massacre till you're till like it's it's done done and gone. I I don't care. I I enjoy the story, but and I enjoyed the 3D one. I thought it was funny. Um, yeah, that one I thought I seen, but apparently I did not. <laughs> like she's hiding on to the like the fucking Ferris wheel and spin around and shit. I don't know. I find it funny, but um, I I don't know. I I. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I just need someone to. I need someone to cover that franchise, so I know the fucking order they're in, so I can watch them Because yeah, it is a fucking mess at this point. And, right. And like, but yeah, this is kind of one of the reasons I brought this up because it's been remade a couple times already, and there's been all these. Like, it's one of those just confusing sequels or series, just because the way play, things are placed. It's like, all right, I can see why you're remaking it again to drag people get people in like i said this could be a remake this could be a sequel this could be a prequel i have no idea yet no. i just know that the director that was on has left oh. which is always a bad sign and they had to get someone new and they're starting from scratch well you know what like i'll probably watch it i've seen most of them unless it looks really boring then i don't put it on right um, i don't think i've seen leatherface yet that one's not bad. It's kind of annoying, like kind of dumb as a prequel to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But 
I would say if it didn't have Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Leatherface in the title, it would be a decent movie. Like it's as long as you okay. can separate it from that. Because I I really like um, the original from the seventies. Yeah. I really like the the remake with Jessica Biel. So did I. I thought that was fucking phenomenal. Um, Michael Bay did that, didn't he? Yeah, it was his uh, Platinum Dunes company. Yeah, because he always films things the same way. Yes, he does. <laughs> like his films always look like a fucking Michael Bay Transformer film. Um, and then I like uh, the 3D and 2. But no, wait, do I like 2? What's the one with Renee Selwiger? That's Next Generation. That's part yeah, four. Yeah, that's fucking painful, but funny. Um, yeah, because that one has Matthew McConaughey. In yeah, it. <laughs> and because they're huge stars, right? Yeah. So, like... I don't know. I don't mind them. And I, yet again, I could care less about a remake. I can watch it if I don't want to. I can, I, right. it's an easy watch. I know what I'm walking into. The Exorcist, which we kind of hot scotched over, um, great film, but definitely dated. Uh, let's see what they can do with it now. And like, what is everyone's beef with CGI? CGI can be done fucking well. Not right. everything has to be practical. Like, well, fuck's sakes. And have you seen the quality of CGI, especially, say, from these superhero and Marvel movies? How about from fucking Jurassic Park? Like, you right. know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. I just feel like CGI can be done well. Like, in Invincible Man, the CGI was done well. Yeah, these, that was incredible, the way that was done. Like, I thought it was pretty good. Um, I don't know. Like, people just feel the need to shit on stuff. I feel like, <laughs> like yeah, they just get mad and, like... I don't know. If you don't want to see the movie, don't go to the fucking movie theater. Like, there's your other option, too. Right. What it is is... The horror community as a whole is filled with a bunch of very passionate people that feel that things that are considered classics shouldn't be touched. And I'm sorry, but classics, you can still always go back and see them. If they're being remade, it's for the newer generation. Not technically for you, but, you know, for people like Heather and I who are just like, we'll watch it because we, for one, support horror, and if it looks good, we'll check it out. Who cares? Well, and I'm basic white bitch. I watch any change, Texas Chainsaw Massacre well, shit that will come out. So have I. I've pretty much watched everything that we've talked about. Like, and I'd and watch I'll a remake of all this stuff. I'll White Claw as well. I'll get, my, I'll get me some Starbucks and hand it to you since I don't drink it. Fuck yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I even liked the, the remake of Prom Night. I didn't think it was horrible. Like, I didn't think it was the best movie ever, but, like, it was fine for a slasher. I've like, never actually I, seen that one. It's fun. It's nothing like the original at all. But neither is Palm Night oh. Two. Oh, so it's uh, not boring because that's what I feel about the original. Oh wow, you actually feel the original's boring? <laughs> yeah, I I feel that one is a chore to get through. Like, oh, I, that's fair. I just could not get into that one. That's fair. That's your jam. That's that's okay. Um, I like it, but yeah, I respect respect. Um. <laughs> But yeah, like anyway, this whole remake, I'm sorry, kind of like, what are our thoughts? And like, poor Scott chose this out of the dark question. And it's like, I don't know if he knew they was just going to get me all worked up like a little like spinny toys, right? Because I just, yet again, if you don't want to see the movie, no one's forcing you to go to the fucking movie theater. Like, I don't understand why people feel the need to get that upset. And if you watch the movie and it sucks, then like when I watched Black Christmas 2019, of course I was disappointed. Of course I was like, oh my God, why did I spend money to, to do this? And why did I drag someone else with me to watch it? But whatever. It's not the end of the world. Like right. I have a funny story about it. And I have other horror friends I can talk to about it. So I'm, I'm interested to see what's done with all three of these. I, I enjoy The Exorcist. Great story. I don't believe that it's untouchable. One of my favorite movies is The Changeling. I'd love to see that remade. I've said it before and I'll say it again. And I love Gregory Peck. I think he's one of my all-time favorite actors. I'm 100% fine with that movie being fucking remade if it got Same remade here. and it's good. 
you know, or even if it's not good, I can still go back and watch the original. Right, exactly. There's nothing, there's no harm, no foul for them to try. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write, watch the, thi the thing from another world. And anytime people complain, I'm going to tell them that, it's, that the 1982 isn't as good as the 1980, no, 1951. <laughs> and that I'm more woke because I watched the 1951 and they're not nearly the horror fan I am. And that they I, need to I educate themselves. I'm going to throw that at the end of every argument. You, yes, I got to see this. <laughs> Just, just to show, anyway. Yeah, and pretty much, if you can't tell, this is the reason why I picked this topic, because I knew it would get Heather on a fun rant, and I love it when she goes on her rants. Because <laughs> I'm like, y'all gonna make me lose my mind. <laughs> I should redo that song and make my own lyrics about people complaining about shit that, like, isn't even a problem. Like, just don't right. do it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just just keep living your life. You'll be fine. You know, but I'm excited. We'll see what happens. Uh, of course, I would prefer new horror movies to come out, but here we are, so. Yep. I mean, well, hell, and we still get a shit ton of new horror films every year. I mean, hell, we watched, what, 135, 136 this year, and they're all, I think, what, maybe three of them are remakes? Yeah. So, like, no one can I say I can't believe that... they, made the, they remade The Invisible Man from 1933. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so no one can say that, you know, all they're doing is making remakes. No, oh, why not. did they remake The Visible Man from Hollow Man, which isn't even the same movie? <laughs> anyway. And I love that I, loved I got you in this rant. This makes me so happy. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, I think we've buried this this horse. Yeah, we've, we've drugged this, uh, this, we drug this one from behind for quite a while. So we're going to, we're going to end this on a good note and i don't know end what our this next topic like my past relationships <laughs> it's in his car while some bills not paid for <laughs> guys are like maybe he's coming back one day to pay um, why, why doesn't my podcast love me anymore <laughs> that's funny um but yeah happy dating to everyone that's out there be kind don't be a dick respond to people Yes. That's... Tell them if you're not feeling their shit. Just be open and honest. You know, send no white games. claws to Heather. Yeah, um, send white claws to Heather. And just, yeah. And like, don't be, don't, don't hate the player, hate the game. <laughs> yes. Um, and I don't know what we're doing next. I don't know. We're going to do yep. something. Yep, this one we haven't planned out yet, so we'll figure it out. We just we like to keep things spicy here on Friday Nightmares. So yeah, it's it's a very rare occasion when we actually are able to tell you all what we're doing next. Yeah, it's only when Scott's really angry about shit or I'm really angry about shit. And now, like, I'm just trying to survive with starting school up next week. This is Labor Day weekend, by the way. Happy Labor Day weekend. Yes, happy everybody. Labor Day weekend, everyone. Um, <laughs> by the time Scott gets this out, it'll be two weeks past Labor Day weekend. Oh, you shut Um <laughs> so It'll only be by the next weekend, hopefully. Yeah, and after all the editing he's got to do from this badass here. But uh, anyway, we will we'll see you guys next time. And until then, Scott, what do you need to tell the nice people? Unpleasant dreams. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thank you.